This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey folks, how's it going? Welcome back when I once again the Vince City Podcast. We're all doing okay, keeping safe. Enjoying the slight easing of lockdown restrictions, enjoying the beer gardens coming back, getting a, a pint. I'm coming back today with a podcast that's a little bit different to previous ones. It's a compilation, similar to the interview bootleg that came out last week. These are four conversations recorded over lockdown over the last six or seven weeks or so with various industry professionals. We've got Sam McGill from Retro Video Club kind of covering the band sector. We have Bob Monroe, who is guitar tech for Blossoms, The Amazons, and a lot of other wonderful bands, covering live and touring. We have Chris Williams from DF Concerts, who's the booker for King Tuts, to come on and speak about how it's affected booking and shows. And last but not least, we've got Joe Dargie, who is a freelance music journalist and other journalist, and is coming on just to talk about how it's affected the kind of music blogging and music journalism side of, of the industry. All these conversations rotate around discussing how the COVID-19 epidemic pandemic has gone on to affect the industry at large and i thought with the announcement this week it'd be a good time to kind of stick it out it's worth mentioning as well that in the description i've placed time codes as well as the dates when these conversations record because it does range over quite a lot of periods so it'll kind of give you an idea of just you know where our headspaces work so if i imagine if you listen to this it might sound a wee bit strange um because some of these conversations are about six seven weeks old Hopefully it'll also give you a nice bit of an idea of how things developed and how things progressed over the course. Could be a bit of a, a history document. I had a real, a real joy recording these conversations before wonderful individuals, so I really hope you enjoy. And yeah, stay safe for a couple more slightly different podcasts coming soon. Hello Sam Miguel, how are you? I'm good thanks Alex, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I actually, I realised, I don't think I actually asked how you were doing 
when we first kind of came on the Zoom. I'm not too bad. How are, are you? You're all right. Yeah, can't complain. What have you been up to so far? Well, we're talking at what, like eleven thirty, so kind of start of the day. But you've been up to much in the morning? Uh, not really. Not a great deal. Had some coffee, <laughs> a bowl of cereal. It's as exciting as it gets. You're quite. You've been sticking to a routine, though, haven't you? You're not like kind of getting up. Yeah, hey, I've been, been trying day. to. It's hard if you don't have anything to get up for to to wake up. But then I don't want to knock that sleeping routine too far off, which a lot of people seem to be doing. So what, like staying up quite late and getting up late? Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. bad for it. I mean, I was I wasn't bad last night. Cause I knew I had to get up for this, but like, yeah, I've been like four or five in the morning. <laughs> get up for get up <laughs> for this get half up. eleven start. Yeah, I got up at half nine. I feel like that's a, that's an acceptable time to get up, is it not? That's kind of yeah. But no, nah. what have you what have you been occupying your time with them? What how does a what's a day looking like at the minute? How are you feeling it? Uh, it depends on the day. So I'm trying to exercise every day that I'm allowed as many times as I want now. Apparently, um, you're laughing. You're the one person who's jumping for joy with that announcement. Nah, nah, I I seen a thing and it was like, this is the first time Scottish people are going to exercise more than once a day, ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's been been busy though, like when you go out and stuff and going into the parks and all that. Ah, I know. You can notice a lot more people are like taking taking advantage of it, of having more time on their hands and the fact they can't go anywhere else really. But I've been trying to get outside every day, been running, trying to get that back because i kind of lost it a bit what you used to run uh like last year i was i done the tough mother thing what's the t- I, I built... so, hold on what's the tough mother thing so that that's like that assault course it's like a it's like a 10 mile assault course and it's got like ice baths and all that that you have to like go in that doesn't sound very nice it was really fun uh roped rory barnes into doing it the day before it happened wait rory did it Yes, because it was me, um, Jennifer, Becky, and then Jennifer's brother couldn't do it. He had to pull out, so we took Rory Barnes. We were out drinking, and then I was like, "Oh, we're doing this thing in like two days. There's a space you should do it." And he was Wait, like, yeah. so you'd all been training for it? Uh, to be fair, I was the only one. Nah, I had this idea of you'd all been like training really hard for it, and you roped Rory in like the day before, and poor nah, boy's nah. got to train. But he did. He did well. It was fun. Uh, so last year I'd kind of done stuff for that and built it up a bit and then stopped doing anything really and then now that I've had more time trying to trying to get out again uh, other than that been trying to like write stuff with Liam uh, which is weird because usually we, that's something that we would do together here yeah um, before you do it over a webcam so yeah uh, just like this and then screen sharing like the recording software and then sending ideas back and forth and stuff like that how does that work though because i imagine songwriting's kind of like you would assume it's a process that you both have to be in the room for like you assume to it would fair, work together or... usually like liam will come here with a pretty like full idea of what he, he has and then i'm usually the one that will put it into the computer like he'll play or whatever but i'll record so i guess it's different in the sense that we're just separate and like we've done a we've tried a couple of ways to be fair like the first one we've done he was kind of on the other side directing, and I just played every part, every part. But then as it's went on, like you've had more time, so I've been trying to like come up with some stuff, like just my own ideas, and send them back and forth, and vice versa. So it's kind of like changed it, changed it a little bit. Have you ever tried your hand at lyrics, or are you purely a guitar? Nah, 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 nah. no lyrics. No, no, not at all. I don't have much to say. It's <laughs> not a good way to sell yourself at the start of a podcast, but. Nah. How do you what you program it all on the computer and can I demo the thing? Yeah, so we just build it up. Usually we actually write like straight into the um into the recording software. What's so just like program drums and that kind of stuff? Yeah, program drums and then 
Just like really quick, we're not too picky about how it actually sounds, as long as it builds up an idea of like roughly what it would sound like if we all played it together or recorded it. Aye, like, so, in, so, in so you can kind of take it into the studio like a blueprint, kind of like yeah, a rough totally. sketch so, of it, yeah. Uh, that's what we've done the last few times, we've literally just taken the demo session in and had that on the screen and then went through each part and like, you know, redone it, done it better, made the changes, stuff like that. What sort of stuff's getting changed when you're and they're working on it? Yeah, I guess sometimes like you'll, so I was doing this recently actually with the time looking back at like the older demos of the songs that are now out. What's that? What? So, so like I've got like 3am and like night in. I'd be interested to up. hear the the night in demo because I presume you kind of you've I mean all those strings and stuff probably got added in the studio, did they? Yeah, exactly. So it was funny though because we had the like the thought for those strings was still there in the demo, but we just didn't have the stuff to put it in. So you're kind of trying to like replicate with guitars and stuff all this like massive string How does noises. That, I stuff. imagine that's quite a task. Replicate more melody wise than like the sound of obviously, but um, stuff like that. And then like so like the big the actual melody at the end of Night In was like completely different in the demo. Sometimes like the form of it. So I know at 3am like the intro was like twice as long in the demo we recorded, and then that whole bit we're just like doesn't need to be there. Take it out type thing. Just stuff like that that. You may not necessarily necessarily think of when you're like just putting ideas down, but then when it comes to actually like forming it properly to to play or put out, then you think a bit more about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess an intro is not really going to work for like I don't want to say the Spotify generation, but I don't know Spotify are too keen on big long instrumental gaps. Nah, yeah, song, I know, yeah, I know what you mean. Got you need to think about that stuff a bit, I guess. Is that not a wee bit frustrating? Eh, kind of. Don't know. Try not to think about it too much, but then. I'm part of that. Like, I listen to that kind of music. So then it's almost instinctively, I feel how long it should be to do this and that. You're quite a big playlist guy, you know? You kind of like. I like playlists, yeah. Yeah. I like making my own own playlists. Have you done any in lockdown? Because I remember last time, what was the one you were doing last time? Was it like Cabin in the Woods or something? Uh, So I did a little Cabin in the Woods acoustic one. Uh, We started the band one, but that's only like two songs each a week. Oh, I've seen that, because who was it put in uh, Between City Lights? That was me. Was it Rory turned you on at them? Or did I send you them? Who was it? Yeah, hey, Ro- Rory. Rory did. Oh, stealing, stealing the full camera, recommend. It's a good no. tune. It is a good tune. It's a good EP. That's probably... I've, well, not, I've, I've not listened to the full thing yet. I only got sent it like two days ago. What was the, the one you the stuck link. in? Styrofoam? Uh, Styrofoam, yeah. It is a good tune. You'd, yeah, it's yeah, it's very guitar-driven. It is kind of a bit... It's not retro, but when you that guitar at the start could be like a... No, it's oh, cool. Like, so I, I put them in my, my last one. But it's a funny one, that, because usually, like, a playlist that you make is all stuff you like. But then when you've got three other people's music tastes thrown <laughs> in the mix, it can get a bit strange. Have there been some questionable choices? <laughs> Mostly from Kieran, probably. <laughs> when, you, when you're doing a playlist, are you quite big into, like, having a four with it? Like, so each track, um, like, kind of has a specific Nah, I shuffle now. it, to be fair. So... I don't really think about what goes where. But then sometimes I'll put it in, I'll go and edit the cue if there's like one I want. Because uh, a lot like a lot of the time I find, I just, I don't have that many, I just keep adding to the same ones. Wait, like, so you, do you ever aban- a playlist is like never done? Is that what you kind of mean? Yeah, like I never finish, like I just keep adding it. Any songs that I find that I like that fit into like this bracket, I'll just chuck it in there. So then they end up being like long. Yeah, it's handy to. I guess I, I, I'm not a massive playlist guy myself, but I get how handy it would be to just have like a playlist for like a certain mood or a certain 
Yeah, oh, activated. I know what you do. One of my more recent ones, my sad songs playlist is. Oh, you don't you don't have a sad songs playlist? That's just asking for I love trouble. sad songs. They're the best ones. To be fair, most songs are pretty sad or melancholic. That's a big word I like using. Melancholic. Nice. <laughs> but they are though. Like I mean, a lot of your stuff. If you think about it, most of them are probably a little bit sad. Kind of, yeah. Night night ends like this. The but then it's a bit hopeful, I guess. But it's like it's quite nostalgic. The saddest one. That's what I like. I like the best. That's my. That's my probably my favorite Retro Radio Club song, and that's probably why. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know you had favorite songs. I thought they were like. I don't know. Nah, I got I got favorite. <laughs> Definitely. It's weird to think it only came out. When was it? Like last year, a year ago. Uh, last year, almost. I think it was like June. You June put it out last year. Pre-transmit. Yeah, just just before. So that was the first time we played it live. How's things, I, I was thinking about this the other day, how's that going to impact you, what's kind of happened with a lot of festivals? You know, they're kind of keeping the same lineups. Yeah, like for, in terms for of the, In terms year. of them being pushed back, is that, how do you kind of cope with that? We're hoping, hopefully, so you hope to stay on the bill for ones that you were, were on. But then yeah. in terms of getting on getting on festivals next year, you don't know what they're going to do if they're going to keep the the same lineup as, as before. But I guess you just need to wait and see. That's kind of out with our realm of of what we can do do you know what i mean i, I hope some keep the same because i was supposed to be going to mad cool and that lineup was <laughs> too good to be true i knew it so i'm hoping that one stays the same but who was on that the headline was like billy eilish taylor swift mumford and sons were playing oh shit band come on no yeah. no one likes mumford and sons they like the george ezra of guitar bands i like mumford and sons i can't get on board with it they have great songs uh, I've not done this lineup justice at all. There was like Phoebe Bridgers were playing. Phineas was on it, wasn't he? Billy Eilish's Phine- brother. Yeah, he was on it. Uh, I'm going to get it up just now. Give me one sec because I need to need was to it, share this. Was that the one Strokes were on? The Strokes were not on it, so everyone thought the Strokes were going to be on it because it had like they rumored, and it was like a band. They were announcing like two bands, and the la- the band like to the left of this hint ended in S, or and everyone was like, oh, it's going to be the Strokes. What band did but it was, end up being? It, it was it was Mumford and Sons, so you would have been very disappointed. <sighs> that is a big uh, drop off. And here we go. I got it up. So Taylor Swift, Billy Eilish, The Killers, Mumford and Sons, Kings of Leon. Then you had like Foles, Royal Blood, Alt J, Tom Grennan, The Chats. So this good sports team were on it. Sam Fender was on it. Young Blood. Pretty stacked bill. Yeah, no, it was too good to be true. So I hope that one stays the same for next year, and then I can go. <laughs> How does that work? Do you get your money back? Or you got to. Just wait till next year and then go there now. You can do either or, I think. When did you um, first realise how big a problem COVID was going to be in terms of the music industry and the way it was going to impact yourselves as a band? Very late, to be fair, which is bad. I, I was kind of, not in the dark, but I, I didn't watch much about it. And then it was the week before we were going on tour. I'd been at band practice and then listening to the radio on the way back. Like I got home and I was like to Jennifer it's just quite bad isn't it like <laughs> but this was like the week before lockdown so obviously it was quite bad um but they had like people on the radio show and then i was like oh it's quite bad and then in my head i was like oh but the gigs which were at that point next week they're only like 100 capacity so maybe that will go ahead but i don't think glasgow will go ahead type thing and yeah. then obviously none of them went ahead because on the monday they like put everything in the in the lockdown no but i remember um, that because we were completely I didn't see it coming because we were it was the Friday night we were at dancing tables. Yeah, we were at dancing and the Monday tables was on like. But like I remember everyone there 
like they were still I remember dancing on tables like had a full tour ahead of them and so did you and you were both kind of expecting that you would still get to go out on it and do the just the small hundred cap we had shows the week after like sold out sneakies and yeah Aberdeen. expecting them to go ahead not even thinking that that they would yeah be postponed. that's strange it crept so yeah, up like, on so everyone yeah, I thought it would kind of be be phased like the big big ones would be cancelled but then smaller like venues would be alright no so it was I was pretty late in realising like how bad it was obviously it's really bad but everyone's in the same boat it's yeah i mean i guess times. it kind of felt like um when it first started off especially the government were just brushing it off but it probably didn't help like kind of sending yeah. mix, send mixed messages you know everyone's kind of not worrying about it too much but not realizing the kind of full impact the situation was going to have that's weird and it's still still getting the mixed messages uh well no what yeah, yeah you speak every venue says that they're expecting it to come back at a different date and and everyone's booked rescheduled dates but you need to wait and even see if they're gonna go ahead you know like at the minute they are in, our, in everyone's mind but then but i don't i don't know i think a lot of folk have penciled in just being hopeful but the, yeah. I, the issue is as well things are changing so quickly because i remember when we rescheduled our velour show in like march we put it for like the start of august or like last weekend of july and everyone mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah, things will have, will have settled down by things then. Things have blown over by then, yeah, and then not, every not, festival's cancelled. Yeah. So. It's not looking likely at the minute. And like, even like four weeks ago, we penciled in that, you know, those rescheduled pledge of dates for September, and that looked like it'd be a dead yep. set. And now it's like, touch and go for them. No one knows if it's going to go ahead or what's going to happen. Yeah, and then you wonder as well, when, when they start opening again, will it be like phased? So, that, will the like 100 caps open first, because it's a smaller crowd, and then... Gradually, as time goes on, the bigger venues open back up. I think they'll just do it. Um, probably, I think you know they closed it off to start with. It was just going to be over five hundred caps shut down. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine they'll open back everything under five hundred, and then maybe a kind of middle and venues yeah. that are like a couple thousand. But I don't know when stadiums are going to be back. I think that's a while off. The thing is, as well, like the, at our shows and all all the shows that I, that I go to, now imagine you'll be the same. It's like there's no. There's no way two meter gaps are happening. People are just, as soon as a band comes on, cramming next to each other, and it's like packed, like so close in. So like, how that Libertine show at Christmas? Imagine trying to do two meter spacing at that. I know. <laughs> I know. Imagine having to stand still two meters apart for people and watch like the Libertines. <laughs> what would be the point? I know. Nah, I don't know how it's gonna happen. It's all a bit of a mess, really. Yeah, but... it's strange. I mean, also a mess. You're you're a Hibs fan, are you not? I am a Hibs fan, yes. What do you make of yesterday's developments? Speaking of things that are a bit of a mess. <laughs> well, I can't say I'm too upset. Obviously, I'll miss the big the big derby games, but I won't won't miss them that much. Do you think they'll get put down, or do you think they're going to try and do the expand the league? Nah, I think they'll get put down. I think they have to. If it was any other team in the league, they wouldn't care that much to restructure. Do you know what I mean? If St Mirren were in last place, yeah. They would just let them go down. It's, it's, a bit, it's, it's a bit unfair, though. I mean, how many points were they off of St Mirren? It's like four or something. Yeah, and there's still eight games to play. Like, you can't really... They were never clawing it back. <sighs> Shocking. Are you all still season ticket holders? Do you not used to... Uh, me and Kieran are. Liam was until last season, uh, and Michael doesn't like football. So three of us. Do you not get your stuff played at Easter Road and stuff? Things like that. Uh, we have, yeah. We We didn't, right? So we we had, we all had season tickets at this point, and we'd never been like played in the stadium. And then the day Addicted came out, there was a Hibs game, yeah, uh, and we got played at the stadium. But we were <laughs> on our way to tour, so we weren't at the game. And then, yeah. how, did you, how did you find out about it then? 
uh, someone like sent us a video of the stadium. Good stuff. I would well, to take it back to COVID though. Get away from football or get not yeah. back to COVID. Back to music rather. Speaking a wee bit about how it was kind of quite late in the game, we realised everything was gonna be upset for a while. How did you start mm-hmm. formulating your plan when you kind of realised that was occurring? How did you kind of brace for impact and restructure um, things? Well, it was hard because a lot of our plans were kind of immediately the week after lockdown. So we were supposed to be on tour and then we were supposed to be straight into the studio back down in London, like the week after the, the tour was finished, um, which we then couldn't do either. Because yeah. then that was supposed to be doing new music to bring out before the big show in Glasgow, which was like supposed to be next week. So then all, all of those things that were coming together ended up not happening at all. I mean, so, it, it's pretty crazy how fast the time's kind of gone, gone by. I mean, what is it, two months have been in lockdown now? Yeah, it's like eight weeks, isn't it? Well, just when you said that the show was supposed to be next week. Like, it, oh, it, no. it, doesn't, yeah. it feels like we've kind of had a, a block of time just kind of cancelled out as opposed to actually occur yeah no it's strange and everyone's kind of trying to stay active online and keep people engaged and stay busy that way but then it's i feel like people are running out of things to talk about <laughs> yeah i mean it's about trying to find ways to change it up you guys have been keeping pretty i feel like you've kind of been hitting it kind of spot on the mark in terms of doing stuff but not oversaturating it if that makes sense thank you and well, like, in terms to... of live streams and stuff like that because i feel like there's definitely there's a balance with live streams isn't there definitely yeah you can do too much but we've been switching up as well like not always doing them on instagram maybe doing like a facebook one yeah and then the next week swapping over it's quite good that way you yeah. got your lyric sheets and stuff as well do you not you've been putting, them been putting stuff like that out uh try to put old like gig photos out make people nostalgic back to when they could actually go did you have funny, any totally. stuff in the bank because i know you got you had stuff filmed at the assembly room show and things like that didn't you did you have things like we've got rakes of footage from that yeah yeah um, so we can kind of share that out to people. Uh, we have that full like video of youth, which is out now on like some Vivo, I think, is it? Yep, yeah, from then. But I mean, it seems so long ago now. That gig, we literally not played a show this year. And, and have you not? not? Was that the last nah. show? Yep, December twenty seventh was the last time we played. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, you had the tour like three days was, after lockdown or whatever. Yeah, it was like March. So nah, that was a good show. I feel like that. If you're gonna go out on a bang, that was probably quite a good. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good night. Do you think it's like more frustrating for bands of your size who are kind of right on the cusp of trying to kind of push for taking it to that next level as opposed to like your more established bands, you know, like your Circle Waves or your Blossoms or whatever? I think, yeah, like it's hard because you need to try and stay in front of people all the time. You want to try and like be at the forefront of people's like feed or mind or yeah. whatever. Usually you do that by putting out music and playing live. Which is like two things you two things have been taken can away. do. So then, because you're obviously at this stage, you're still building that platform, and those are the things that you would use to to build it. Whereas now you need to try and keep the platform, like not platform, like keep the fan Momentum. base that you have there, and try and build new fans on board with like your resources are gone down. That's a good point. How do you take on board new fans? How can you keep growing as a band during a time like this? Like, have you? Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. What what's Make like happened on, with like monthly on the TikTok? Oh, don't even start. <laughs> uh, ours have actually they went up, which is good. That's good. So you kind of still, uh, but I guess that kind of makes sense because everyone's inside listening. Everyone's to music. just listening to music, so um, it's good. There's because there's still been bands like if you look at like Vistas or Seagulls or, or the Snuts as well. We were right before it, but they had stuff to put out. Before. Yeah, well, they're the, they've got, so Vistas have got their album in, don't they? 
exactly. So and they, that was all, but that was all ready yeah. to go. So they can, they're still like keeping people engaged, putting music out, which is good. So it's what people need just now, I think. Yeah. Um, Do you think so in they, future you'll you'll like record a couple like, singles ahead? Yeah. I think it's definitely worth having a like to learn for this would be have have a bank of of material that's like good to go. I mean, it could strike again that they are predicting that there could be like a second wave of the winter and stuff like that. So if there's a little a little gap in between that we can get get in the studio, if you can get two months where you can get in the studio and smash out like four songs or whatever. Yeah. Have you been doing a lot? Well, obviously you've been writing with Liam over webcam, but have you you've been doing like a lot of demoing and stuff? Or it's the same as what we did here. We're still working directly onto the into Logic now. It was after like two week <laughs> chat with Apple. So yeah, we're just working directly into that still, um, which is good. Um, more little ideas than fully fledged like songs just now but i guess we have time to to build on build on those what is a little idea is it like a, a verse or a chorus or a hook or but both some a lot of companies have been giving away stuff like samples and stuff like that so one like i found recently was like uh, old drum machine samples so i kind of like playing about with them was something new to me so that's what i've been like starting with for a lot of stuff have you used samples before bits not really here usually but it's something we're trying to like usually here we're pretty bare bones in terms of like guitars drums and bass and then anything extra would be in the studio but now yeah you can have trash it out yeah just to like get get almost get on the paper but you know what i mean get on the sound so i've been trying to play about with like new stuff just to keep it interesting because there's a lot of time to sit and and mess about i mean that's probably quite a good productive i think it is important to keep productive and I mean, you're obviously speaking about how you've got your routine and stuff and you've not let the, the sleep pattern shift, but it is important, That's I think, it. to... I mean, do you set goals for yourself? Do you think, I want to achieve this with what I'm getting up and doing today, or do you have um, aims? I should. I've tried. I tried this week. I, I writ, 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 wrote, wrote, written a to-do <laughs> list, like yesterday, which has, like, stuff that I want to do, but then whether I stick to that or not. In terms of writing, or does that come down to, like, admin stuff and promotional things as well? Uh, more in terms of like finish this song start a new idea type thing yeah than like the promotional stuff that's more ongoing because that's a lot of that's like we would talk about what we wanted to do like if there's has that any sorry on you go i was going to say has that promotional stuff increased because i know like from a a blogging standpoint or whatever i've kind of noticed i'm getting a lot more emails in every day from bands and stuff has that is it different to normal promotional side slightly like we've had more like we did like the sucker live fest. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Um, which one of the live streams we done one for Deadwax, which is the venue we're playing in Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, so like that side of promotion things is like new, new audiences that we've never played to. We well, guess we're still playing to them. Um, I, I forgot this was a podcast. I just did the little. <laughs> you can see in part. You thought <laughs> what is the word for that? That we um hyphenated quote thing where you we'll go with that hyphenated um, quote thing yeah so yeah i guess we're still playing an audience but so it's like new new reach that we've not had or played to before so that's been quite good a couple of like the the question like interviews but like remote as well i um, saw liam I was doing Liam's one yeah the other night done a couple of podcasts yeah as well had you done a podcast yet no it's my first one whatever yeah well you did that thing with joe did you know so. i suppose that was a radio I've show done, i've been on joe's radio show yeah yeah. And chatted on there. That was more live than How do you are you a fan of interviews or what's your kind yeah. I like I like doing them. I like listening to them as well. So Which um, I was about to say which do you prefer? What, listening to or or, or do doing it? them? 
I thought, yeah. I, I mean, I won't listen to my interview. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I never listen to our stuff. Like, I've never, Liam's, any of the podcasts he's been on, I, I don't listen to them. But I like It'd be a bit weird, to wouldn't it? it? Yeah. I mean, you feel like you know what's coming. It's like spoilers. Uh, but no, it's it's good. I I like doing them, but I don't like listening back to my own. Cause, uh, I've done a couple over um, like lockdown. I don't know. It's it's a, it's maybe look at it differently, being on the other side of it, and it's maybe yeah. more surprised that people do so many of them because it's not. Well, not, I know you've done a couple, Alex, because I have listened to a, <laughs> a it, couple. It, the people I did it with were lovely, but um, yeah, I just feel quite uncomfortable when you're on the other side of it. It's weird how it kind of shifts, like when all the questions are kind of getting. Do you feel a lot better asking the questions rather than? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is more conversational, really, isn't it? This is less of an interview and kind of just a chat about. Yeah. But what's going on? About what's happening? Yeah. When's the tour rescheduled for? Is it November? Uh, first week in November. How do you? It must be. I mean, that must be the real killer is the uncertainty. Like, how do you plan? It's strange. For the rest yeah. of the year. I guess you, no one can. Really, just need to wait and see. Are there other issues that you feel like are underneath the surface that aren't really getting spoken about as much as well in regards to the impact it's having upon the industry? Because people are obviously speaking a lot about the difficulty of like reducing and the uncertainty, and also the impact that it's having upon a lot of people who work as full-time professionals. But is there other things that you feel people aren't talking about at the minute or aren't looking at in terms of? Um, I think it's hard to, for people to be stuck inside all the time and not see their friends a lot of time, not see their family. That's a massive issue just now in terms of like people people's mental health being inside all the time feeling stuck i feel like there's also somewhat of a pressure to to, to do things like it's like be productive be productive be creative when i don't think there there has to be like if, get up and do nothing if you can one day why not they're important days when you do that what when you do nothing yeah yeah i think everyone needs days like that when you do nothing though what is what actually is doing nothing like what's the thing you do if you're going to switch off and you're going to just chill out and you're like i'm going to Devote this day to just kind of getting something back. Well, it depends on the person, I guess, because to some some people doing nothing might be sitting in front of the computer, but then for other people doing work, sitting in front of the computer all day. That's the way so it's then, all I do, sit in front of a computer and just... So then they're doing nothing would maybe be not not going on the computer or on social media or, or whatever, do you know what I mean? I mean, I guess social media kind of feeds into that pressure, doesn't it? When you see what other people are doing. For sure, yeah. When you see people being active and... and being engaged in all that, you think we need to keep up with that or I do you feel the same as a band? Like in terms of looking at other bands on social media and that kinda of spurs you on a bit. Definitely, yeah, like not spurs you on, like not like in a competition way, but like you can definitely take influence from from things other people are doing if they've got came up with a good idea for a a live stream or a post or whatever and you think like our our fans would quite like our version of that. Yeah. And like taking influence from it definitely you don't want to lose um like fall behind the pack as well if you know what i mean no well you, you you're obviously as a consumer as well of like following bands and stuff you can see what everyone else is doing so you want to try and replicate not replicate but like come up with your own Emulate. ideas and your yeah. own way to 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 be amongst that i mean especially for someone like yourself who's quite big on the don't say marketing aspect, but the kind of social media side of the band and things like that, and the aesthetic, to you, to, for yeah. lack of a better word. I find all that very interesting. Like I sit and listen to the podcasts and watch stuff on social media. Like, have you always been I just quite into that, like the kind of that side of the band, like from the off, or when did that um, start to get well? Catch your so attention? back in like 
when we put our like first ever EP out, how I got into like the whole making of the artworks and all the social media stuff was we basically had hired someone to do the artwork for our single and uh, EP, and they gave the single artwork, and then we pay them, and he never replied, and we still didn't have the EP artwork. So you got diddled. So, so I was like, oh, we need like we need we need it more than like the money is non a non issue. We need the the stuff. So then I kind of had to learn how to do it because time meant that we needed it like right away. So from that is when I first ever got like Photoshop. I made the artwork for that first EP, which was terrible. Oh, it's not the artwork. Spotify, the artwork, yeah. not the EP. It uh, was good. Some good tunes in that EP. But uh, was it Heart Brigade? Heart Brigade was the first single, which we had artwork for. Which was Heart EP. Brigade, not on the EP. That was on the EP, but oh, we yeah, put yeah. that out as like a single from the EP before before we put out the, the actual EP. Yeah. Um, so I, I made the artwork for that back in like 2015 and all the kind of like promotional stuff, like videos, which looking back were not great, but At the they were time, my first yeah. ever time doing it and they worked. That's they what you want, yeah. Purpose. Um, so from them, I just always kind of made stuff and like thought about what I would like things to look like or the layout yeah. and all that sort of thing. It's interested me since then. But then of. I'd like to think I've got better at it since then, and <laughs> we've certainly done a lot more since then. But I mean, it's very consistent, isn't it? Like across the kind of all three of the platforms, you can yeah. kind of see there's a very distinct pattern. Is that the kind of trend? Yeah, I'll, I'm glad to glad you think so. <laughs> uh, what's the what's like the biggest realization you've had in terms of you know social media and operating that kind of side of the of the game? One thing that that I liked when I noticed it. So, this is so gimpy. Twitter crops your photos, so if you tweet like a gig poster, you can't see the full one if you're scrolling, which upsets me. So if you crop it or make a new asset, asset, you know, like a post. So if you yeah, make yeah. that in a 9 by 16, I think, ratio, then it doesn't crop it. So whatever is in that space is going to come up full Yeah. On, on as people are scrolling. Um, or a GIF. GIF doesn't crop either. So if you can add a little moving element and make it in a GIF, it won't crop that either. I so think then, it. I think this has been changed though. I'm sure. What I, now? Because I was scrolling through your. Because remember you told me this once before, and I was scrolling through your thing, and I noticed a GIF that had been cropped. Now, nah, honestly, my GIFs shouldn't be cropped. There was one. My my GIFs. My GIFs. You've been undone. Hey, as far as I know, my 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 thing worked. It's all those little tips and tricks, though, isn't it? That kind of are what you need, essentially. Yeah, it's, I mean, I said a lot of people would find that, like, Kieran's just, like, put, just put in and out, it doesn't matter. Whereas I really like to think about it. Don't know why. I don't want to say they're on equal terms, but I think the gap between how you look and how you sound and the importance of those things is getting smaller. Like, it's, yeah, it's becoming it, more important how you look and less important how you sound in some... Well, there's a lot, a lot of people for can... better or worse. ...launch a career in the other one from the other side of it, do you know what I mean? Like some people have stemmed from just having really good social media, which has helped yeah. like build them up. I mean, you look at a lot of these bands that um, you know are all like models and stuff and haven't put anything out like music wise. Yeah, but we, they're all like def- very big on like the visual kind of aesthetic and all that regard. We definitely don't need to worry about that, <laughs> especially with this lockdown haircut that's happening. Yeah, I feel like that is one of the biggest struggles is not being able to get my hair cut. It's kind of starting to. Oh. I mean, you can see people are listening camp, but it's yeah, mine's just going over my ears now. I'm usually very short at the sides. Nah, I seen when Liam was doing our live stream. It's kind of 
See, his was long and messy anyway. So I feel like it's just... He can put it off, though. He can. He suits it. He gets away with it. Whereas everyone else is just getting, getting out of hand. Yeah. I don't think any of us have cut our own hair yet. Out of the band? Yeah. I know quite a few folk who've done it, like pals and stuff, but I've, I'm not I'm not bothered enough. I think what I'm going to do is grow it out and then get a mullet. Just as soon as it, nice. as soon as we go back nice. to lockdown, just get it. You look nah. like you're joining an Australian surf rock band. I'm not convinced I could pull off the, the mullet. I think you'd be all right. Guy from uh, Voodoo that supported you. He yeah, ro- he's he rocks. A nice he rocks a pretty good mullet. He does have a nice mullet. But nah. that's quite. A bit. I was always say that we're going to bring it to a close, but I feel like complimenting someone for a mullet. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird. It's a weird way to finish it. Yeah. But that's a very vintage society podcast kind of end to it. But <laughs> now, man, I appreciate you uh, you coming on and, and having a chat with me about everything that's going down. And hopefully we'll do a proper one when we kind of speak about the band yeah. as a whole once it's, we're allowed to see each other again. And Sounds good. Don't have to keep Thank- five metres apart or whatever, two metres. Thanks for having me on. I've hit record, so I'm hoping that should be... I'm, I'm not used to this whole kind of Zoom podcast thing. It's a bit different from uh, from normal. Uh, well, this is, I mean, to be fair, I've never done a podcast ever, but me and a couple of mates have been doing ones on, like, films past few weeks. Just, like, the three of us get together and we kind of go, like, yeah, like, one of us will, like, we'll go through a film that either one of us or two of us haven't seen. We'll never watch a film that all three of us have seen before. If it's a film that none of us have seen, then that's better. But, like, yeah, that's kind of, like, the vibe that we go through. What sort of stuff have you been watching? Um, It's varied quite a bit. Like, the first one... I think it was Wedding Crashers. Is that uh, the first one? Like Owen, ben Stiller, Owen Wilson. Yeah. Uh, no, Ben Stiller's not a bit. It's Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. Oh, yeah. Christopher Walken. So we did that. Some sort of like light-hearted ones. And then we've just done Lost in Translation, which I loved. Like I've, I mean, I've seen it before, but it was the first time I'd watched it since I'd been to Japan. Like, I've watched, it was like, so I've watched it three times now, but the previous two times were like years and years ago before yeah. I was touring. And I kind of like, film definitely resonates a bit more now so yeah that's got a great yeah. end in that film as well well yeah that's so actually when when we finish recording this i'm going on to record the, the podcast about oh, yeah, yeah. translation and i was speaking to, to one of my pals earlier and he was very much kind of like we were both sort of chatting about you know what the ending means because like all three of us have very different views on it what's your uh what's your theory what do you think he says i'm not going to say that you have to tune into <laughs> Saturday night theatre to 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 find out. What's know. the what's the name of the podcast? We'll plug it while we're while we're on. Um, it's it's it, it's called Saturday Night Theatre. And it's streamed on Shutdown FM. Shutdown FM. Uh, which is so it gets streamed on that. But I think because last week's one was really good. Ocean's Eleven. We did that last week, and we really liked just how that worked. And it definitely had a bit more of an audience. But I think like from now on, we're going to start putting them up onto YouTube as well. Like after we record it, so people can just watch it on demand. It's good to have a platform like that as well, YouTube, where people can kind of. I find that when I'm documentaries and stuff, and people stumble across it like months later and things, because it's just it's always there. It's not like an article on a website yeah. somewhere it disappears and no one ever sees it again. Like people are always on yeah, the exactly. stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're in you're in much more of a explorative mood when you're on YouTube. Yeah, you definitely. Want to see what rabbit hole you go down. I read it. Um, I read the Three Oceans films as well recently, 11, 12, and thirteen, and it was um yeah yeah I, I love them. They hold up. Oh. Yeah, they're fucking sick. Really good films. Twelve. I'm a, I'm gonna rewatch that soon because I'm not a huge fan of twelve, but like eleven and thirteen, I love. Yeah. Twelve. Like, twelve goes in a few interesting directions, like the whole Julia Roberts thing. You know where they kind of pretend think, that she's Julia Roberts. It's yeah. Well, like thirteen's just 
the first one, but like the stakes are a bit higher and it's a bit more insane. Yeah, and I think that's the movie I like it, you know. And you've got Al Pacino as well, which kind of just raises the quality of any film as soon as he's in it. Exactly. Who um who were you in Japan with touring with when you went there? So I've actually been five times. Um, man, five times. First time I went there was with Blossoms. And then I went there with the Amazons, which was weird because I kind of like ended up half tour managing on that one because our tour manager had to get, he had to get like a back operation like a couple of weeks before we were going, but it meant he couldn't fly. I were kind of just told like, yeah, you need to take lead on this. So that was kind of weird, but it was kind of, it was all right. Like there were certain aspects that Mike had dealt with and there were other bits that I was more comfortable taking on. So it was a bit, yeah, it was funny. Imagine you yeah. learn a lot from that as well though, don't you? It's kind of yeah, breath, I mean, it's not, it's, fire, it's, yeah. it's not something that, I would necessarily want to do all the time, but it was nice to kind of go like, oh, well, I had a wee snap at that. And then the, the other times I was in Japan was with Blossoms as well. So I, I love it there. Like it was really stressful the first time I was there because it's just so different from here. Like even, you know, even though like every major city around the world seems to be the same, I find that Tokyo has just got something very, very, very different about it. And it just freaks you a little bit. The fans are meant to be pretty crazy over there as well, are they? Oh, it was insane. So the first time I went, I'd been with Blossoms for like maybe three months. I hadn't been with them long. I remember when we got off the plane, like when we came out the airport, fans were going fucking mental, like taking photos of the band and all that. And that was fine. Then we got to the hotel and there were fans there. I turned around and like there were people taking photos of me and Chris, the sound engineer and i was just like what the fuck like it's just kind of my, fun on another scale in, in, instagram followers <laughs> went through the, <laughs> and uh, it was yeah it was weird it was like it was it was like fucking beatlemania but it's like i mean it wasn't unique to blossoms but like like they're that's how they are with everyone like every band that comes through but that doesn't make it any less sincere they're just like really really intense like in fact when i was there with amazons i think i left like my idea or whatever at like the hotel so i was like right i need to pop back like we were all going out for a drink and i was like right i need to go and grab camera like either my money or my passport or whatever and when i headed back to the hotel this woman came running up to me with like a little goodie bag it was like a little star wars goodie bag and she was like you know oh, bob bob um you know i've got this for you and i was like oh you're not sweet. and she was like yeah i know i know you like star wars and i was like well, that's really really sweet and i was like oh the the, the amazons guys they're not here like they're, they're away like the, the bar she was like, oh no, like I'm I'm not here for for Amazon's. I, I, I you know I just knew you were staying here, and I was like, that's adorable and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, so that that was the thing. That was the thing. It was like even though I wasn't there with the band that she is like a huge fan of, she still knew that someone associated with that band was at the, that hotel. I mean, to be fair, it's a dead giveaway in Tokyo. Every band stays in the same hotel in Tokyo. So so you know what's. So once you know which hotel it is, you know to just like you know hang about there all the time. Yeah. How um how long were you out there for when you did that tour? How long does it typically take to go around Japan and kind of do the the main places? I'm trying to think. So I think you're you always ended up with like two or three days off when you like. So when you get there, you'll get your day off. Then you'll do typically when I've been. It's always we've always done like Osaka and Tokyo or like Tokyo and Osaka. But like I'd say you always get like at least a day off in each city. And I think the promoters try and make sure you get a couple of days in Tokyo. I probably I probably racked up I I probably racked up like just under a month time in Japan over the past couple of years. That's which pretty, is not bad. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm very much missing. What tour were you on when this kind of all started kicking off? What were you? Because I know you were on the you're on the road, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was in the middle of a UK tour. So when I'm assuming you say when all this kicked off, you mean the dreaded 
the dreaded COVID. Yeah, when when shit hit the fan. Yeah, so I was on. So this year, my main gig was going to be Blossoms, as it kind of always has been. But like this, you know, they came out with their third album at the start of the year, which went to number one. That was great. You know, we had a nice, like a really busy calendar lined up. Loads of major festival appearances. But you're not doing a stadium or something as well on that tour? So yeah, that tour was starting off, it was really weird. It was going to be starting off, well, it started off in Cork at a venue called Cypress Avenue, which has a capacity of about 500. And it was finishing at Manchester Arena, which had a capacity of like 15,000 or something like that. It was always kind of this thing of like, yeah, we'll do the arena one day. And it was just a matter of like when. It was like, you know, like they did Castlefield Bowl last year. And I think if they didn't do Castlefield Bowl last year, they'd have done the arena last year. You know, but it was one of those, it was always just this, it's like, when are we going to do that? Or when we do the arena, like, it just, it was this thing you knew was always going to be coming along. So then to get it announced, it was like, fucking great. You know, this is it. This is, because it was like, once we've done that arena, that sets the bar of what we, like, the size of show that we can pull off. Yeah. And I think it, it would have moved things along and like, you know, it would have meant that after we'd done that, we could have done another couple of arenas on the next tour something. Like once you've got that under your belt, I mean, I know that that's not necessarily how it works, but at least it, it definitely made that a possibility. When we were on the tour, I mean, I didn't really think much of coronavirus. It seemed very much this thing that was isolated to Asia. And I think everyone thought that. Yeah, it crept up on us very quickly, I feel. Yeah, I, it, was, yeah it, so it escalated very quickly. And I remember like the night before I went away, I mean, so like, because we'd been gigging like, oh, even though like the tour started at the end of February, we had like warm up shows at the start, like the start of February and the end of January. I'd been working on the prep work for this tour all year. Like, I had, so I had like, a, like 10 days away on holiday at the start of the year. But other than that, like, I hadn't been home because I was down in Manchester doing the prep work, going through all the guitars, you know, yeah. rebuilding the rigs. And it was all for the thing of like, it has to be perfect for Manchester Arena. Like, that's what we were building up to. And I remember the day before we went away, like, before I sort of set off, and my mum said, like, you know, you just, like, you know, take care of yourself, you know, like, be careful. Because I think that the conversation at this point was that, you know, coronavirus will come to the UK and there were shows starting to get cancelled in Europe. I think at that point, we all thought it was maybe going to be like a two-week, three-week thing, like, at worst. Didn't really think it was going to be bad. I mean, at this point, Wuhan don't think had been locked down for that long, and Italy had maybe only just gone into lockdown. But we still felt it was pretty safe. We were going through, you know, each each day. It just it was never really part of the conversation. It was kind of, to be honest, it was almost a joking point. Like I like I like I remember because um, you know you arrive at the venue, you meet the venue staff, you shake their hands. And I remember we were at Rock City in Nottingham, and like we shook the hand, hands with the the technical man. He was like, "Yeah, we probably shouldn't be doing that." I was like. Yeah, but mate, have you seen your microphone cupboard? You know, you're probably <laughs> safe. You can, you know, and it was it was that thing. It was just like it just wasn't that much of a threat, and it was kind of. I think there was the mentality of like, this is just so out of proportion. I always remember. I say always remember like it was fucking ages ago. It feels like ages ago now. But we were did we did a show in Sheffield, and that was probably well, it was one of the last shows. But it was fucking it was brilliant the crowd were just insane i mean i remember every time we've done sheffield it's been fucking mental like just pints in the air as soon as the bloody intro tape starts rolling it was hot sweaty but the crowd were loving it band were loving it you know like it just everything worked not no technical hitches or anything because we had a few of them but sheffield was the one where it was like right everything has fallen into place and we've hit our stride sorted how many folk were there <sighs> sheffield academy's maybe like two and a half thousand three thousand yeah good size 
yeah, and then we were in like I, I you know, kind of everyone was in a bit of a celebratory mood afterwards. Like you know, we got packed down, stayed up, had a wee drink, and we were going on to bath afterwards. But it wasn't that long a drive, so it was one of those where it was like, well, do I go to sleep now, or do I, you know, just wait until we park up in Bath at like three in the morning, yeah, and we'll get going, sort of thing. We went, like you know, got in my bed. And it was weird because, like, nobody, we still hadn't really been sitting chatting about coronavirus. And at this point, tours had started to be cancelled. Maybe there was only maybe, like, one or two tours. Anything anything else that had been cancelled, it was all, like, you know, the, you know bands were cancelling their shows in Italy because gigs in Italy were banned at that point. Yeah. It still seemed pretty far off, but I remember coming in the next day and there was just a weird vibe. Where, you know, you came into the venue, found the showers, had my shower, got sorted, you know, made myself a cup of tea. And this is before the equipment had rolled in. I remember, like, the rest of the crew started coming through. And I'm not, because I'm normally the first one in the venue, not out of any, like, importance, but just I'm an early riser. I like to get in, get myself sorted for the day and that. And I just kind of turned to our monitor guy and just was like, I'm getting a bit scared now. And he was like, yeah, I'm a bit worried. And I don't know what it was. It was almost just like everyone collectively, just that switch in our heads just went, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. Because we hadn't spoke about it. We hadn't really acknowledged it. But all of a sudden, it was just, it was horrible. The feeling just got more and more bleak. And I remember like, our stage manager came through and was like, yeah, I don't know how safe this tour is because... I've just like I've just seen Tom singer and he's looking like you know as white as a ghost worried you know the band just seemed really worked up I was like you know it was it was one of those where you were just like I like this this was on maybe what like Friday and he was like this tour could be over come Monday and we still had like over two weeks left and I kind of was just like we just got more and more worked up and we've all got our little corners of the stage and I've got my area where my my work cases and my my two guitar vaults and that you know just my area that's it and I just sat down on my my little stool and I mean to be honest I cried because I was just like holy shit we were you know you went on to Facebook and just there were umpteen like gig cancellations you know starting to come up I mean, it was like so-and-so has pulled their tour, you know, like the Who had pushed their tour back by a year. Um, we were told that like Lewis Capaldi is load, loading into London, but they don't even know whether tonight's gig's going to go ahead because this was the day that Boris Johnson was meant to be announcing, or we were very much braced for Boris Johnson to announce that all mass gatherings had to be pulled. And we even kind of thought this this show tonight might not even happen. It was just It was just really weird. It was horrible. It was weird how emotional everyone went, like, we were, you know, you either kind of were like dead quiet, or you would disappear to find like your sort of your quiet area, weeping, or it was it was horrible. And I've never I've never seen anything. Do you know what? The only other time that I've felt that heavy atmosphere was uh, Glastonbury 2016, which was the day of the Brexit vote, where it just kind of felt like the mm. rug had just been pulled out from their feet. But that's a very separate subject, which we can delve into if we want. But you know that that was fucking awful. But yeah, this it was that that day in Bath was really shit. And what I mean, the gig happened, and you know what? I remember saying to the band afterwards, you know how are you, how are you after that? And they were like, do you know what? We're we're fine. And it kind of because it wasn't the best gig in the world. The crowd were okay, but at this point we did notice that like crowd numbers started to dwindle a little bit, like no shows, because sort of these gigs were all sold out. You know, it was like, why is there only like you know seventy five percent of the people here? And I think you know we were all kind of a bit aware of that, but you know it was like it was one of those where like there were no technical problems, the band didn't fuck up crowd that were there were good and you know i, I said to have you know said to the, the band you know i was like well to be fair that's that's all we needed we just needed a gig to like prove like just remind us like what we do and why yeah. do we enjoy it you know because it doesn't it's not all about being 
Manchester Arena. It's as long as people enjoy it and, you know, like seeing people enjoy it makes you enjoy it. And when you kind of give yourself a pat on the back if there's no issues in your gig, I mean, not that there's gig issues at every show, but, you know, it's one of those you're just constantly braced for it. And so it was, it was, it was really nice afterwards. And it kind of was like, well, do you know what? Boris, at this point, Boris hadn't pulled the gig, like pulled gigs because we kind of, I remember we all gathered, like it was after Soundcheck, we were all waiting. I think it comes to, like the broadcast to come through at five o'clock. And everyone was out with their phone, like watching BBC, waiting for it to think it through. But everyone's internet was like dipping out. But I think it was Josh. He eventually got got the broadcast first. And we all gathered around him, listening to what he said. And, you know, if anyone said anything, you were just immediately told to fucking shut up or whatever. Because we're all listening to it. And I said, I was like, afterwards, I was like, it felt like fucking wartime. Like, that's what it felt like. I was like, that, or that's what I can imagine. It felt like just how tense it was feeling at that point. But we were like, well, do you know what? No, the gigs are still happening for sound. And I think maybe we had like a feeling of calm for about 24 hours and then it all just started to feel heavy again. So I had like a day off. So we all kind of just chilled. But then it just like the next gig came along and we were just like, oh, this is, you know, watch this. There's going to be no one here. And people did show up, you know, it was still a good gig, but it was just starting like the weight of the situation, I think, was maybe starting to bear on. And I think at this point we agreed we were like, Manchester Arena won't happen. Yeah. If we're lucky, we might do the... Because we're going to be doing like three nights at Kentish Town Forum in London. And it was like, we might get as far as London. You know, if we're lucky, we might get as far as Glasgow. Or whatever. But it was one of those where like, Arena won't happen because it's too big. Yeah. But because the other shows were a little bit smaller, like they were less than 5,000. It was a bit of hope. Like that might work. And then, but then it just... Then the band, um, well, management and the band made the decision. Out of like a moral kind of decision, do you think? I think, yeah, I, I, yeah, partly moral and, you know, probably just for the fact that, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it, was, it, it wasn't nice to hear it, but at the same time, we were all quite relieved. You know, the realisation, you know, how it kind of just seemed to hit quite quick. Mm-hmm. What, why do you think that was? Do you, do you feel like sometimes you're maybe a bit isolated on tour or why do you think it kind of just felt like it hit all at once? You live in the bubble. Um, and I'm not watching the news at six o'clock every night. You know, when the news is going out, that's the one point where, like, either I'll be still be doing my prep work, you know, doing like restringing or cleaning, or it'll be the point where I'll go back to my bunk on the bus and get, and just chill, maybe not necessarily sleep, but just chill for a bit. It takes for something really big to get your attention. And this was quite a, quite a big event. Yeah, I think that was the thing, is that because it maybe for everyone else, it's slowly been ramping up whilst we were in this bubble, and then all of a sudden it just went from zero to fucking 100. It just hit you, yeah. And I think maybe we'd all been thinking it, in the back of our heads for a few weeks but it, it's worrying because i mean we were the first industry to suffer you know nicholas sturgeon's announced today that lockdown will this is the thing I'm, I'm up i'm up to date with all the news now because i get to watch the fucking briefings every day but yeah you know sturgeon's announced that there will be easing of measures in a week's time yeah and that that gets people a step closer to being back to work, but that brings that that's only a step closer for the people who were the last to get pulled off of work. Yeah, we were the we were the first to to get you know dropped, and we're going to be the last to come back, and that's the scary and frustrating thing. I don't I, like like to be honest. Whenever I hear from a manager, well, not a manager, but if I ever hear from anyone that speaks about like you know shows that are being rescheduled to such and such a date doesn't really mean anything promoters aren't in control of when they can put shows back on governments aren't in control of when shows can go back on it literally is all down to the virus because you're hearing about there's some states in america that are holding shows again 
and like Spain are looking at holding gigs again, like in June. But you know, we all know that there's going to be a second wave of this. Yeah, not not to sound too gloomy, but I'm very real that like any sort of easing a lockdown is only going to be temporary. There's going to be like a second sort of lockdown scenario. Yeah, I mean, I just, speaking about winter, weren't they that they think it'll kind of hit again once things get colder and it's kind of tougher? Well, yeah, that's where they need to get like a lot. I mean, I, I don't want to kind of go too deep in the science part because I really don't really know what I'm speaking about. But yeah, it's like I really don't know when I'm going back to work. Like at the absolute earliest, I'd say December, but I don't, I don't think so because I think it's getting to the point that like promoters are booking show will be booking shows because you kind of got to it's their job but they'll be booking gigs knowing full well that they, those gigs might not happen like I don't I, so it's the prep work it takes so long to prepare for a tour that why put in all that work if the work's not going to happen like because then that's just lost money it's lost time and so that's the thing is like even when it is safe it's kind of like well who's the first one to go like who's the first one to start up it's it's, it's a really 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 weird scenario there where we all want to go back to work we want to go back and be safe you know i don't want to be on the the first tour back after lockdown only for it to cause another spread of the virus it's just it's a really it's, it's as i keep saying it's just horrible but the, the thing is is that it is my trade it's what my it sort of depends on so it's it's a tricky situation. Yeah, and I felt I definitely felt that on the final few days of tour where I was like, we shouldn't be out on tour because it's not right that people could, you know, be coming to these gigs and potentially coming into contact with the virus. But at the same time, I was also like, well, I'm a self-employed person. If this tour falls through, I'm not going to get paid for the cancelled shows. So for every other day, like for every day that I'm still on the road, that's a little bit of money in my pocket that I might need to rely on. And that's kind of like, it's weird because I mean, because I did another podcast at the bit like the start of lockdown. It'd be interesting to compare how it sounds. I was, uh, I was having a listen to do research for this and it's quite interesting how things have changed so drastically in that month. Yeah. And I felt actually really bad after me. I listened back to it. I was like, I used the word money so many times when I'm speaking about it. I was like, it just sounds like the sort of guy that's like, I mean, I sound like a fucking Tory, let's face it. I just, you know, speaking about money when people's lives but i was speaking to one of my mates about it the other day and he was like you know the loyalty is you know is very sort of like you, know, you can measure someone's loyalty depending on how money changes it. and i was like but when you're self-employed money isn't just it's not about being greedy money is your livelihood yeah that's what you need to survive yeah that and that's the reality of it so it was kind of like this weird balance that you kind of had to take but and that's the thing you know i want to go back to earning the money that i was earning you know i liked you know being able to go on my nice holiday in January and all that, I'm not going to be able to do that next year. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, it's not worth doing that if it's not safe. So it is, it's like you are, you are very much in like two minds. How are you like adapting to life being at home? Because I imagine going 100 miles, you know, per hour on the road and then suddenly just coming to a standstill and being stuck at that for a few months is a wee bit tough? Or? So I have, there's some days where I'm absolutely fine. I managed to keep myself busy. Um, like for the first couple of like maybe the first week that I was back, I was probably really like I went. I mean, like I still lived with my parents. I still do. Um, the idea was that me and my missus were going to be getting a, a house this year. Um, that was you know, and that was that was just based on what I had planned work wise, which that's you know very much had to go in the back burner. So I mean, I'm in the fortunate position. I'm I don't have a property that I'm not having to worry about rent and all that. But I think for the first week off a tour, I maybe was a little bit intolerable. I was really angry, scared, frustrated, and I still am. I still get that way. 
but there's some days that may be a bit more manageable. Like there was like one point where I went through like all of like me and my brother's guitars. I mean, to be fair, there's still ones that need to be given some attention, but I kind of was just like, I'm going to give all these a set up because I hadn't, I genuinely had like, you know, I just never had had the time and I got them all at a point before I was touring. So before I really knew what I was doing and that was interesting, you know, that was cool. I liked that, you know, it, it keeps me sharp, but that was at the point where I was like, I'm going back to work in July, so I better stay sharp. That podcast you did, that uh, the thing that stuck out to me from that is that was at like start of April, and we were speaking, in, or you were speaking in it about going back at the start of August and stuff. And it's mental to think, yeah. I was the same. Like I booked in shows for like August, like the whole month I've got shows on. The, the yeah. logistically, those happen is going to be unlikely. It's kind of it just seems to keep getting worse as time goes on, and it seems further and further away. Yeah, like the way I described it to someone was like, I feel like I'm in a tunnel and the further into that tunnel i go the light at the end of it just keeps moving further away that's a good good metaphor yeah on my bad days you know if we're gonna like speak frankly from a mental health standpoint yeah like you know on bad days where i'm really feeling very very scared and frustrated about the situation that is how i feel and it's horrible um and it is days where it's like you just feel agitated and i think yeah, you just like there's been days where I just I'm sat there and I'm just like with very little warning I just say to my, my folks right I'm up I need like I need to go out for my walk now just get out of the house because you just feel so not to say that people don't understand but I just I, like I mean I, I say it to a lot of people I speak about is that it's coming back to that thing of being like the first people to get pulled out of work but you're going to be the last to return and that's a horrible feeling because everyone every, you know we are all in this together to an extent. But our experiences of this are all going to be very, very different. But I feel like for the self-employed entertainment side, particularly the crew, yeah, as I keep saying, it's just, it's horrible. That's the only way I can describe it is it's fucking horrible and grim and dark because I just haven't a clue what's going to be happening with it. Um, so there's some days where, yeah, it's, it's pretty unbearable, to be honest. And, you know, you get really frustrated because there's you can't change that. But then there's other days where you, like, you form some sort of routine like for a couple of days and that keeps you busy and all that like a couple of folk have said to me is like this is the one time in your life where you'll get to do absolutely fuck all and not feel guilty about it but you still do feel guilty about it you know the thing is well though if you love if you love what you're doing and that's just taken away from you i imagine you'd rather be on tour with blossoms and you would be sitting doing fuck all yeah yeah it's all to do with that the atmosphere even during a shit gig that there's still an atmosphere even if things are going fucking tits up for you know the guitars could be fucking producing some mental sound that you don't know how to get rid of but you're still contributing to a gig and people are still enjoying it yeah and you take that away at the end of every show there's been very few shows i could pull account on one hand how many shows that i've like you know that i've wrapped up and i've gone well that was fucking awful you know and that i felt that I didn't work properly or the crowd were, you know, like, well, not too much. I never blame it on the crowd because there's probably only, yeah, about maybe four or five shows out of four years that I've been doing it at this level that, I, that I've been dissatisfied with, which is not bad. Yeah, it's a pretty good ratio. But you just, and it's the cat, like, I mean, I mean, I still speak to, to the other crew lads and that's all great, but like, you know, like I like text and I like messaging them, but it's not the same as being on a bus fucking shooting the shit at, one in the morning you know like and it's not i mean i know it's, it's not about getting like to be honest i'm not i'm not fucking lemmy from Morehead. i don't drink jack daniels fucking 24 7 that's not what it's about but you can't beat those moments where like you spontaneously end up staying up till two in the morning chatting away with the keys tech 
and like he's telling me all these stories about his fucking career or what is it's just the atmosphere and like the feeling of that collective of people kind of camaraderie yeah that's that'd be the word that i'm looking you know it's just it's i do miss that and it's like that's yeah that's a big part of it you know the people that you work with and like so, i mean I, I speak to I sp- you know i have spoke to all of them during lockdown there's some that i speak to more than others just because you don't want to be bothered after you want you know so sort of things but like it's important to keep yeah, connected as well it's just, but it's, but it's, yeah but it's just not it's just not the same like it was one one of them said this and i was like this is exactly what lockdown feels like it feels like during the summer holidays when all your mates have gone off on holiday so you've got nobody to fucking play with you know, especially when the weather's nice. The weather's nice. The weather's nice. The we- there's weather's nice, but you can't do anything. And that's probably uh, at, when lockdowns at its best. That's how it feels. You know, and when it's at its worst, it's just unbearable. But, I mean, it's, it's one of those like we've all kind of just had to get used to it. Um, but on a on a brighter note, after me sounding like a gloomy bastard, there, I'm trying to suss out a way of keeping busy, like when lockdown gets lifted to an extent that like because I. I've not always done it, but like last year, maybe the year before, like I kind of periodically would do like if I t- if I had like a month off, I would take some guitar setups on whilst at home. So I'd get like I did some stuff for like the lads and the Capolos, good guys, and um, offline like a couple of a couple of Aberdeen bands, um, like Van Sleep and all that. And um, yeah, I'm probably going to be doing that again. So anyone that I've just listed off in a band there, you'll probably get a message from me going. <laughs> Let, let me set up your jazz master you need stuff like that though to keep busy yeah. and give you a sense of kind of focus and purpose well exactly exactly and the thing is these are working guitars you know like they might not be working guitars on academy tours but they're still getting played just as much and yeah it's the end of the day that's kind of where i started anyway but yeah i think i'm going to be doing that i'm just trying to work out a way that like because I, I have friends who have been doing this during lockdown which is great they've managed to work a way that you know, it's contactless, it's safe. Yeah. And I probably could have, but I just I'm very wary that I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up. So you'll be careful. I'm yeah. waiting for lock yeah, I'm waiting for a lockdown to kinda of get wound down to a point where I feel comfortable enough to to take work on. So yeah, I'm hoping to be fair, maybe like in a month's time I'll be, you know, working on that. And I'm kinda of also looking at this is me plugging my business for like a month. No, by the way. go for it, yeah. I'm I'm looking I'm I'm looking to do some like like custom pedal board builds, uh, junction boxes and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just like I want to do little bits like that because it expands my skill set, keeps me busy if I make a bit of money in the process. I think it's great. Of, yeah. So yeah, that's that really. So that's kind of like I think like past couple of days that's kind of been my my train of thought, my sort of focus is just like right if lockdown is gonna get obviously it won't get fully went down you know social distancing will very much be a thing for at least for the rest of the year but you know what way can i function even though i'm not on tour so do you think when um when touring does come back it will be the same do you think the industry can return in the same way or do you think it's going to be different do you think it's going to change i think eventually um i could see a lot of gigs happening in like theater venues where they're all seated i think you know, even if you went to like the Academy in Glasgow, I think a lot of those size of venues will become fully seated temporarily because to me, a fully seated venue is easier to control where people are rather than like putting fucking big tape boxes on the ground and going, right, well, you have to stand in this box with your party of three. And then, you, you know, like that's just going to be, I think seats, I've always noticed that like seated venues, people just stick by the rules a wee bit more. It's much easier to control. Crowds might not like that being 
controlled a little bit more but if they want to enjoy live music it's something they're gonna maybe put up with in a, you know for a while i don't it's kind of been said about like ppe for touring crew i think to an extent we might need it but like i i don't know how the fuck i can do my job with wearing a face mask because these gigs are fucking roasting me the best of times same with like gloves i don't know how i can work on a guitar whilst wearing latex gloves without fucking smearing the bloody finish so me i feel like in that part of the work that can't change but where gloves and masks might be used is during loading because you've got the touring party which is the band and their crew but then for each show that you do there's going to be local production staff and there'll also be local um stagehands who will help set up say the lighting rig or the audio package and whilst we can control like i think it would be you know practice that before a tour goes out that i have to like isolate for two weeks before going out or i need to prove that i've not had symptoms for two weeks before joining the tour everyone in the crew has to do that everyone in the band needs to do that yeah that's great so we go out and we're essentially quarantined together because that's the thing i mean how the fuck do you get people between venues with social distancing in place when you're on a bus so i feel like at that point the touring party is seen as a household during the setup in the morning when we've got these local crew in who we don't know if they're safe to be around and they don't know if we're safe to be around where both parties might have to wear masks at that point but i feel like at sound check basically from sound check through to pack down at the end of the night it could work pretty normally social distancing maybe backstage when it becomes between the touring party and the local production party yeah i think distancing would maybe need to be involved there but we'll just have to wait and see i think that that's workable i think the thing that really would be impacted though would be music festivals yeah massively especially in the uk where we seem to have this habit of cramming every stage with about 10 to 12 at um which a lot which is a annoyance at the best of times anyway because it just leaves no space for anyone to do anything but that's the thing like that's where the idea of like a touring party being a household goes out the window because if you've got 10 bands on the fucking main stage at reading just doesn't that's work 10 households so you have to at that point you have to be wearing masks i think europe it'd be more workable because europe like european festivals like for example did um ziggit in budapest a couple of years ago good festival the main stage there was four four acts and each act had about an hour and a half of a changeover so it meant that you in theory you could work that where like you don't need to you know because there only really need to be like two touring crews on that stage at one point for example your headliners come in they set up and sound check in the morning and then they bugger off because the changeover is that long you've got 15 minutes to get say the band before you stuff off an hour to get yours on like yeah. there we should be you know because it would kind of be rotating in a sense it shouldn't there shouldn't need to be any like crossover between say blossom's crew and war on drugs crew i'm just referencing the lineup that we were doing but <laughs> you know like you know what i mean like that's that would be workable but the way that uk like uk festivals to me this is when i go off on a tangent but like uk festivals are so badly run it's all about how many bands can you fit in a, a small area like i love transmit it's an improvement from the final days of tea in the park but that backstage area is tiny when, though like that wee bit where yeah. they pile all the bands into. Yeah. And it's just not, 
But I remember the first time we did it, it was the day where Biffy were headlining with 1975 as special guest, Twin Atlantic, two door, they were us, you know, but it was like, it was so crowded, like you couldn't move anything because of that, the amount of equipment and the amount of crew, it just doesn't work. Well, like I say, we did Zig, Zig it, and that was Google Bardello, Blossoms, War on Drugs and Iron Monkeys, and we all had fucking enough room to swing a cat backstage. It's a good lineup as well. Fine. Yeah, oh, it was brilliant. First time I'd ever seen War on Drugs as well. Brilliant. So, Google, Google, uh, Google Bardello I'd never seen before, but was very much a fan. Yeah. Is this the first summer in a while you've not been doing festivals? When was the last time you had a summer where it was festival free? Um, it would have been 2015. Oh, that's not too long even ago. Then I still went, even then I still went at festivals. At the that, I think that was, yeah. that, was my, that was my last Hunter summer and did Leeds that year. I think it was 20, yeah. It was like, what was it? Metallica. Metallica, was it maybe Foo Fighters? I, I remember I, Metallica I remember. So yeah, it's, yeah, it'll be, it's a very different summer from the, the previous one. Probably the first summer that's not involved any festivals for me for, yes, yeah, since 2009. No, 2008, because 2009 was my first one. And this must be the longest time yeah. you've, you've not been on the road in a while, I'd imagine, is it? Um, it probably is now, yeah. Yeah. How long have you been off? So, two, think... two months, maybe? Two months has it been since it? Just over two, yeah, yeah. over two months now. Man. So yeah, time is flying two past. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm taking a bit of comfort that that those two months actually have strangely flown in, and like the rest of the year can just hurry up. That breeze great. past, um, yeah. I mean, this is it's, yeah. It's I just I don't, I just don't know. Like I bet me looks at it like oh well, if we're meant if, we're, if if there was a possibility of us going back to gigging in like January next year. It would mean I'd maybe still be doing prep, like I'd be doing prep work end of November. It's a way of looking at that whole place. Like whenever, whenever the first few shows are meant to be, it's a couple of months before that yeah. you can get into prep work and get going again. Yeah, but just oh, I don't know. <laughs> just have to wait. See, I, that's why I'm trying to sort of think up little um, well, plan B, so to speak. It could be argued, yeah, no one wants the guitars looked at because they're not gigging. But anyone that plays guitars because they're gigging. I mean, they play it because they enjoy it. Yeah. And, you know, as a guitarist, and if anything, you're probably playing a guitar more now than you were before lockdown. And there's a lot of, if people are wanting to do, like, you know, their sessions from home and record music from home, because I think that's, I mean, that's maybe one, like, positive to all of this is that I think there will be a sort of, you know, a mass creative output at the end of this because yeah, everyone's going hold up and is up. Yeah, I wanted to use the word Renaissance, but I wasn't sure whether that sounded wanky, but you sounded fine with it. <laughs> I've gone for um, it. I've put my neck out. So, fair, fair play. But yeah, I think, like, that's the thing. If you're, if you're recording from home, this is once again me promoting, it's like, you want your equipment to be in top shape. Yeah, definitely. You know. You need it to be. So, uh, it's one that I think, you know, goes, goes hand in hand. I just have to wait and see. Just have to wait and see. But... Yeah. It's all the uncertainty. I don't know why. I, I mean, I do think, I think, well, I'd like, very much like to think there'd be some positives will come from this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't, I, I don't really want it to be some sort of dystopian world that we all go back to. Like, I don't want it to be like, I don't know, just, I don't want it to be this sort of like stripped back way of living. Like, I don't want that to be permanent. I don't think anyone does. I think it may be, uh, I, I, I just, I think, you know, surely like, you know, when, when we speak about, you know, like the bloody dolphins in Venice and stuff like that, you know, it shows like, you know, it doesn't take long for like the world to kind of like heal a little bit. And I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll be honest, I've not, I'm not someone that 
writes placards about the climate crisis. It's not something I've ever really thought about. Judge me that as much as you like. It's just not something that is, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just one of those people that it's just never, I've never sat and thought about it. I, you know, when very much I should, I feel like this is kind of maybe, yeah, showing that it doesn't take much for, you know, the world to kind of recover a little bit and whether there are some lessons from that that can be applied to our way of living going forward. But um, Even turning stuff and making that a little bit more kind of climate friendly. Yeah, I think that's probably, if there's, if there's a positive impact that it can have on touring is maybe that it's giving, it could give people time to suss out a way of touring that is environmentally friendly, you know. Yeah, I saw the 1975 were speaking about doing something with like a tent where you would use like sunlight or something. Right, yeah. I'm not sure I feel some, that I read that. Some me, crazy that to me shit. that's just to me that's just Matt Haley being Matt Haley. Don't 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 get me started on that. <laughs> I mean I I've I've identified the climate crisis as a thing. I've just came out and said like a massive fact on that. But yeah, don't get me started on Matt Haley's interest in uh, opinions on some things. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, not gonna go on that now. Yeah. But uh yeah, thank you very much for uh, coming on tonight, man. I appreciate it. And um I imagine oh, you're welcome. we've kind of focused mostly on COVID on this one, but I imagine we'll probably do one once we're able to do a podcast like in person together where we kind of talk about everything a bit more in general. Because we were going to do one, I was thinking about this before it started, it was pretty much when everything started kicking off, I was going to come over and we were going to do a podcast and then... The day, I remember it was like, we were, I think we were scheduling in on like the day I was coming home from tour. I know, and actually it was I remember right away. 19th, 19th of March it would have been, because it was a day before, I was supposed to have two shows... And that's why I was supposed to be come back up to Aberdeen and then those shows both got pulled and I didn't come back yeah. up. Um, and everything just went um, mental from there. Like everything kicked off. Yeah, it is. It's just, it, it's insane how much things change. Like you even said, like, you, know, you listen to that podcast that I've done at the start of lockdown and how much it's changed. And like how much yeah. my answers <laughs> changed because it just shows that, yeah, it's just a situation that's grown arms and legs. Yeah, it's constantly and, evolving as well and developing and changing and going in different it, directions. It kind of even got, got to the point where like I've just kind of got used to getting worse. So that when it, even if someone does say it's getting better, I'm like, oh. it's like, no, it's not over. You know, like, but I mean, I'd like to think, you know, like you see the graphs are starting to come down. So yeah. Like, Starting to get better. Don't hold on. Just you just want them to keep coming down, and then yeah. we can go back to enjoying things. How you doing, Chrissy? Yeah, good. I'm bored, but it's just been a bit weird, stuck inside all the time, and not really having any sense of normality. It's been quite challenging, but it's I suppose everybody's in the same boat. So yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of felt like it started off as a bit of a politically troubled year, maybe, and it's kind of just. I don't know. It's kind of accelerated beyond what you thought it would have. It's it's one of those things that you've never really like. You see things like this in movies, and you don't really ever imagine it would be like a real life thing. And I think like there's moments when sit and think about the kind of gravity of the situation that the whole fucking world's in lockdown, and which is just really strange because it's it's so dystopian and yeah, it's just a really weird thing. I think like obviously just try not to think about the severity of everything that's actually happening, but it's definitely weird. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing as well is it's weird because we're kind of still in the middle of it and we don't really have, like, any perspective on it yet. And, like, we don't also know what's kind of coming over the horizon and what's going to happen as a result of it. Yeah, I think it's just, like, with the music industry and stuff as well, it's just, like, especially the kind of live sector, it's it's just totally flawed at all. And, again, it's like you go to shows and, and whatever, and it's you never really imagine not being able to do that. So it's quite 
it's quite like a kind of weird thing, I suppose. And I think like for artists as well, it's just it's such a tough thing, especially for artists that we're going to be releasing music or albums and kind of having the live bit taken away from that and not being able to, to promote or do, maybe do like a, a proper campaign because you can't tour. It's just like tragic. Um, I was speaking with my pals that's in a band to their debut album come out last month, I think, end of last month. And he was saying that the label like, told them all the sales that they would have got had they gone out and done all the in-stores that were planned and this and kind of everything they'd lost from it. And it's just like mental, like how much it's kind of just taken away from yeah. you and out with your control. Yeah, I think as well, it's just like, it's especially for kind of new artists that are maybe like, have been working for like the last six months to kind of start releasing their first releases and then like when you're you're trying to build a career for yourself or you're, you're putting music out for the first time like you really rely on live to go and kind of play in front of people that haven't heard of you before and to have that taken away from you is just a kind of challenge that nobody really knows how to combat or like, I think like the live stream gigs thing just isn't working I don't think there's any appetite for people sitting watching people doing live streams anymore I think it's just not done and in terms of like trying to monetize it and, and sell tickets for live stream gigs it's just a non-starter because if I'm doing like a lot paying for a live stream, I can just go on Zoom and share my screen and eight other people can watch it with me and there's no way to kind of combat that. So it's, and I also just think they're boring. Like I, I've got no interest in sitting watching live streams anymore. Like the first couple of ones you were like, oh yeah, this is cool. And um, it's good that you're kind of able to still see live music if, if that's what it is. But I think it's, it's kind of now at the point where you just kind of want to be back in the room with them or, and I think that's going to be the challenge as well for when things start opening back up of can you do gigs social distancing and how, how does that work and hopefully there's a way around it to to make it as real an experience as, as you can for both kind of punters and the artist. Yeah, have, have you kind of started looking at that in terms of how to carry out gigs social distancing? Is that something you've put in any thought into yet? Or? We've had like a few ideas. Um, like Live Nation announced a thing today that they're going to be doing drive-in a drive-in tour that df are going to be doing the scottish like of that uh which hopefully will be good i think it's 300 you can get 300 cars in their own wee box and you know, it's like the likes like the streets and the snuts and, and a few other acts are, are confirmed for it i think there's still a few more to be um to be announced so that that will be interesting to see how that works i think it gives people an opportunity to go and do something different rather than go for a walk around the block or ho- hopefully that will be received quite well and can be the kind of beginning of live music coming back hopefully yeah i mean it'll be a, a real appetite for it i guess when it does come back like we were saying kind of before we started this how much just a lot of live things we've kind of missing like in terms of it's we're just having it completely taken away from you which i guess what is it absence makes the heart go fond is the kind of yeah I, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was she was talking about all the gigs that she had that she was meant to be going to and they've all just been cancelled or postponed and how like heartbreaking it is and like I think like when you work in the live industry, you kind of forget like there are like people that have been like spent like their hard earned cash to like go to a show that they're really really looking forward to, and it just gets like stripped away, and they can't they can't do it anymore. And um, like I remember like being younger and being being there, and like if I kind of think about like how excited I would have been if like my favorite band were going to be playing Glasgow, and then to have that kind of just like taken away would just be proper gutting. So. I guess at least it's happening to everyone instead of just one person, if you know what I mean. Like everyone's kind of in the experience yeah. together. Yeah, totally. It's just it's it's such just a weird time that nobody really ever. I mean, I I certainly didn't ever think would ever be a real thing. Just such a, like a weird thought that 
this is now it became normality over like the last three months of just been like stuck in your house and not being able to do anything. Yeah, I remember like years ago, probably like five, six years ago, watching. I think it was it Bill Gates did that TED talk, you know, where he kind of spoke about the dangers of a pandemic and all the stuff that could uh, pose. And I think I just presumed that there would have been a plan in place for when it eventually kind of happened, if you know what I mean? Like the government would have had some sort of idea of what to do and it feels like there was just no real idea and they were kind of just doing it off the cuff. And... I think politically, the UK have absolutely, like, fucked it. Like, they've just, like, the government haven't wrapped themselves in glory. No. I suppose, like, without getting too deep into politics, um, it kind of just shows that how capitalism is just so broken and, like, doesn't work. Like, everything that they've been doing to combat the, the virus is, like, socialist politics that everybody's been banging on that don't work. And, like, when it comes to something like this, it's they rely on, like, socialist concepts to kind of get them way out of it. And, yeah, it's, it's just, like, for, like for, for, for me, like, potentially this could spell the end of capitalism as we know it. I think that was me thinking with like a super optimistic outlook which I, it, it probably won't but it, it at least shouldn't, it should waken a lot of people up to like how the system and the capitalist system is so broken. It, it almost feels like the culmination of quite a lot of years as well in a kind of sense, like basically the build up from I mean do you, do you not think though, I guess with 2008 as well though you thought more people would have kind of like 2008 happened and then the Tories kind of got voted into power, which is a weird kind of juxtaposition, if you know what I mean. I guess because Labour were in power this, when it happened. but I think that for like being in Scotland as well, like, like I don't know a single person that would vote for the Tories. And that, like I get that that's part of that because of my social circles and the, the type of people that I surround myself with. But like it, it just doesn't make any sense for us to be governed by a, a government that nobody really wants. The whole political landscape is so depressing. Do you think there's been enough support for music from the government in terms of what they've kind of done to help combat the massive issue facing it at the minute? Nah, like I think that, like I think that there's just been like a lack of communication, and I, I think that I get that nobody really knows when things are going to be back to normal. But um, naturally, like I've not really been involved in any chats with government or haven't been privy to what information has been shared, if any, but it, it definitely feels to me like the, especially the live music sector, which I suppose then has a, a greater impact on everything else, but like there's just, there's not been enough support. And when, when you look at like the kind of other governments in, in Europe, they seem to have been a little bit more proactive in terms of like shading dates or like giving glimmers of hope, but then also backing that up with financial support that, um, I think it was Germany announced there was like a 150 million grant getting pummeled into the, the live entertainment industry, which is amazing, which is like, if, if we could get something like that, it would definitely help like in the short term to to try and, I suppose, get or prepare to, to, to kind of set up to getting back to shows or, or back to, to something, but there, there just seems to be they're just yeah they're, 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 there's not been enough for me anyway there's just not been enough support both financially and not emotionally because that's not the right word but there's not been enough of, of a communication there or the, yeah like keeping the loop totally but which I, I you can understand because i don't even think the politicians know but it, it, it just seems from the outside looking in that there's 
some of the European governments have definitely been like supporting the live entertainment industry a lot better than ours has. Yeah. Um, and I suppose there's still time for that to change. And I get that the European cities and, and countries are a lot further on than we are because they've generally just handled the whole pandemic a lot better. But I guess it felt like at the start it was almost chaos. Like there wasn't a clear plan in terms of what was going on. And especially with music, I remember. It felt like it came out of nowhere to a certain extent. I don't know if you were in the same position where it felt like it escalated rather rapidly and very quickly in terms of the severity yeah, of the situation. Yeah, I, th- I think there was just there was so much ignorance like across the board that, oh, this thing's happening in China, but it's in China. And then it was like, oh, it's happening in Italy. It's fine, it's happening in Italy. Like, I remember like chatting to folk about when Italy were in lockdown and being like, hey, that's mental, that's never going to happen here. Like, and then two weeks later, Bam, which seems like that was about three years ago that I was having those chats. But it just shows a lot, like the ignorance wasn't just from it was from like the governments, but it was from the media, but it was from like everyone. Like I, I definitely didn't foresee this happening, even though all the warning signs were there. I suppose it's just something that you don't you don't think is like a real thing because it just it seems like something out of a movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess with what you do as a job as well, you're so fo- like so like focused on what's coming next and what's ahead that you kind of maybe don't always have time as well to kind of contemplate something of that severity kind of getting in the yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, because like, we, we kind of work six months in the future. Like, we are constantly, like, shows are happening, but we are working on the shows that are going to be in six months' time. So that's definitely been been a bit weird that now seeing, like, shows that were supposed to have happened having, like, moved to later in the year, but now then getting moved to next year because still nobody knows whether or not there's going to be shows happening this year. I, th- I think that's maybe, like... Again, maybe a slight bit of ignorance that people just maybe assume that oh, it'll be over by the summer or it'll be over by like in early autumn. But it's like it, it may well still be, but there's no like guarantees that uh, it kind of definitely seems now that like artists teams are now just like writing this year off and focusing on 2021 and just doing everything that was planned for this year, next year. And we just kind of set everybody back a year. But as you said, everyone's in the same position. So it's not as if anyone's getting like a leg up or anything. I mean, I remember when it's like back in March when everything kind of started getting postponed. Everyone said, "Oh, sure, we'll be back at the end of July," and then the start of April it was September, and then the start of May it was November, and it just seems to keep kind of getting further away. It's like no one really had a full idea. Yeah, I think that's still the case. Like, still nobody really knows. I think that people are maybe just even if shows can happen towards the end of the year, I'm sure tours will get set up quite quickly because there'll definitely be an appetite for people to go out to shows, but I think people are just kind of aiding on the side of caution now and just moving everything to next year. Yeah. I, I still have, like, hints of optimism that hopefully, like, cuts will be back open before the end of the year, which would be amazing. It would be great to get shows happening again and, and be back in the venue, but, like, just nobody knows at the moment. Yeah. I'm interested in... You always said you were at the gala show on the, the well that would have been the day before lockdown kicked in was it was that on the Sunday and then the Monday lockdown kicked in I don't think lockdown kicked in I think it was like a week or two later but certainly that was on the, the Sunday Sunday the 15th of March I think it was was the last show I was at which was Gallus during the mash house which that was kind of when the media in the UK and Scotland certainly started realising this was a real thing and people were chatting and like, you could kind of feel it at the show that it was definitely like a few people who hadn't gone to the show that had bought tickets because they didn't want to be in a crowd or, or whatever. And I'd kind of seen it as this is probably my last opportunity to go to a show for a while. So I like, drove through to Edinburgh and went to it and 
it was a really really good show. But I think that even even then, like I probably in my head was thinking of yeah, kind of downtime. Like there'll be no shows for a month or two, maybe. But I definitely didn't um, foresee it being as serious as it as it obviously has been. Yeah. What was the atmosphere um, like at the show? Was there an area of like trepidation kind of kicking about, or do you think people were kind of aware? Or? Not really. Like I think that. Like it, it definitely didn't feel like people were holding back and not like getting into it. And like gala shows are always like super high energy, and that it was definitely the same. And um, maybe it felt like people had kind of were aware that it was maybe the last time they were going to get to do this for a while. So it, it didn't feel like people were holding back at all, um, which was obviously a good thing. Or maybe not because there could have been people that were infected at the show, and maybe well, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird to think back to that kind of time of I get I don't know if innocence is maybe the right word, but just to have such a an yeah, it's probably it's probably ignorance rather than innocence. Yeah, but, um, it's, people just didn't foresee it maybe being as as mad as it has been. Yeah, I mean, how do we do implicated things for it? Like earlier on, even if, like say lockdown had come into um, being like a week earlier, things could have panned out quite differently. I mean, look at it, it's like kind of, is it New Zealand just declared themselves COVID-free and kind of completely easy and locked down? Yeah, I think that, like, it's definitely, like, they seem to have done a really, really good job of containing the virus and stopping the spread of infection, which, like, is to be commended, definitely, but it kind of, they've got a, quite a left-wing government. Maybe that's, Not that I'm that's saying, saying it's all because of right-wing, it's because of all, it's all because of right-wing politics, but I definitely think that the outlook of erring on the side of socialism definitely has counted in their favour. Like seeing that they've had shows back opening, and um, but then on the flip side of that, I was in a Zoom call with an agent um, a couple of weeks ago who, who's out in LA at the moment, and he was kind of saying how like all the bars and stuff in LA are back open, but the infection rate's still so high there. But they're just like America are just totally fucking it as well. Um, but like, I don't think they have gigs back, but they're like they're still like folk gathering and in, in masses and pubs and which I think like everyone was kind of expecting yesterday that beer gardens were going to be be back open with Nicola Sturgeon's announcement, which it's probably a good thing. Like I know a lot of people are really frustrated by it, but I think that when hospitality does open back up, like naturally, like because eating and drinking out of cups and plates and using cutlery and, and whatever, like that's how the infection can be spread super super easily. So like that really should be the last thing that opens. Um but hopefully it won't be it won't be too far off. It'd be nice to go and get a nice big pint of tenants. I know. Did yesterday's announcement have any implications upon the music industry and what you can do or is it not too much? Not really. Like I I've been on furlough for a while so like I'm not really in the loop with what the kind of company are are doing and what implications what yesterday would have would have had but um as far as i'm concerned i don't think it's really affected anything nicholas sturgeon did say was that they're still working towards tourism reopening on the 15th of july i think it is yeah so i mean if, if tourism is going to back open then i suppose then you do need to have pubs and, and restaurants open whether that will be indoors social distancing or just outdoors I think there's definitely an opportunity for there's loads of really good outdoor spaces that potentially you could incorporate live music into, or hopefully you could incorporate live music into. Yeah, I guess if you think about something like like Galvanizer's Yard even, or something like that, like we've kind of got a stage and then you can have like a beer garden or something. I don't know if they'll put a stage in because the 
the stage that you put in to do a show and there costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and then naturally to cover that cost, you need to sell tickets and stuff. I think they'll probably just have DJs and which is probably the right vibe for it. It's, it's the other thing as well that if people haven't been able to go to beer gardens or, or be outside with pals, like do you really want to be sitting in a beer garden with some annoying acoustic guitar player in the corner, <laughs> like making loads of noise when you're trying to catch up with your friends? Probably not right away. I think that in certain places it'll definitely that that will work. And yeah, like I, I think it's just trying to gauge what the appetite for a social distance outdoor concert is. And I think we'll obviously see that with the, the drive-in shows, which hopefully will, will sell well and the lineup looks really, really good for it. And I, I know there's still to be more stuff announced. So that's that's exciting to see um, how that all pans out. Yeah. What do you miss uh, most about live shows, I was going to ask? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I suppose I just kind of miss the human interaction, maybe. Like, I, I personally can see, like, being inside a music venue having to be two meters away from anyone and that being like an enjoyable experience like i think like if you want to go i think you're going because you want to be around like-minded people and jump around and have a mad time listen to like music that you love and i suppose you kind of just miss the, the whole atmosphere of it and like you miss seeing a band that you work with play an amazing show and like the crowd loving it and them loving it and, and that's lot like i miss it, like all the staff and venues that you know and that you see every day and yeah it's just i suppose it's just that kind of interaction with people that you're constantly around that's no longer there yeah i mean i guess for yourself yourself as well going to shows every night there's so many people that you just would bump into that you won't see now like just on the off chance oh yeah like, i mean like, like even like folk in the office that like you see every day and like that's not just unique to music that's like everything like across the board like your colleagues you're used to spending you probably spend more time with your colleagues than you do anyone else in your life and just not seeing them at all is really strange i think like all these kind of like zoom meetings and zoom catch-ups and hangouts and whatever are just super weird as well like because it kind of feels like you are and it i think it's really weird how quickly it's felt became and felt so normal we are super lucky to live in glasgow and have like such an amazing music community and like so many amazing venues that are so close to each other that like you must be in all the different venues and yeah it's, it's it's just super weird like it's like it feels like i've not been at a gig in about a year i know it's not been that long but it definitely feels like it's been fucking ages it's a weird kind of part um contrast because it feels like time has been going really quickly for me during lockdown but also when you think back to before lockdown it feels yeah like no, i like, I, I've played a sickening amount of football manager throughout lockdown, like, <laughs> an embarrassing amount, actually. Like, I've, there's been days that I've literally woken up and just put it on and I've been still playing at, like, midnight. As much as, like, I've been loving that, I can't wait to not have to sit and play football manager all the time. I can't wait to have normality back and be able to be outside and going to shows and, like, hanging out with folk. And, yeah, like it, it, I definitely hope that that's something that isn't too far off. Um, yeah. Even at a smaller scale, like I don't think the arena shows will be back. I think that they'll probably tailor like capacities and like the smaller shows will be back first, which hopefully means Tuts will be open when or when will be one of the first to open. Yeah, well, I guess they'll probably do like five hundred and under, and then kind of go above that and just open it up gradually. Yeah, I think that there's also like a bit of a a bit of me is like, but does it really matter if you've got five hundred people or? 10,000 people in the room if one person has the infection then surely they can just spread it on but um, 
I guess it's less potential people to give it to. Yeah. Depends what they do. They bring that app in or whatever. I guess if you bit it. Yeah, I, I know that there, there, there's definitely a, a lot of stuff that people are talking about, and um, like I was reading a thing a couple of weeks ago that Hamilton Aki's football club are like the first club in the world to install um, like CCTV that have heat sensors. So like on the CCTV, they can tell people's body temperature. There's something slightly terrifying so, about that as well, though. Like you were speaking oh, about it being dystopian. Yeah. So, so like they they can then spot if there's somebody in a crowd that is hotter than they should be, and they just don't get access into the ground. So that's pretty weird. That sounds. Which I suppose will become a thing. I don't know. I think it's just what new measures are going to now be normal. I suppose. Like I know that there's definitely like a feeling that there's going to be a total shift in across the board permanently of how things are and in terms of hygiene and things that will just become part and parcel of everyday life like constantly washing your hands potentially like wearing face masks in public might become a permanent thing well i mean um, is it is it, i think it's one of the uh countries and it might be i think it is china that if they're sick they just wear face masks anyway like they've always done that and it yeah. kind of makes sense I think like, why would you go in public in china, and spread though, that, 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 the air's not very clean in china i think there's like a lot of smog or yeah so they tend to wear face masks for that, but I think that in general, like it is just part of their culture, and, and there's probably other countries other than China that do it that they just constantly they are maybe more aware of hygiene than we are. Like like the amount of times, and I'm sure you'll be the same that you're in a club or in a pub or at a show, and folk go to the toilet and just walk straight back out without washing their hands. Like hopefully this is the end of that. I think they'll probably like hygiene stations on the way into the toilets and out of toilets, and they'll be monitoring the amount of people that are in toilets at the one time. As men, we've had the privilege of never having to really queue for a toilet. Whereas, like, if you're at a show or at a festival, there's always a massive line for female toilets and not for for male. I think that that's probably going to change, and there'll be a, a queue for us as well. Because I think that they are just going to monitor the amount of people that are going to be going in and out of kind of dangerous spaces like that. Um, but I, I think that can all be a good thing because, like, like if people are going to be cleaner, then that's and stop spreading germs as much. Then that's a good thing, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably have outside of this pandemic a lot of positive effects across the board. I'd imagine. You mentioned as yeah. well, like the kind of musical community at the minute in Scotland. I, w- I was interested because as someone who's only really been involved in the scene like maybe a year and a half, or maybe even probably less time than that. You, you you've kind of spoken about how before in interviews about how four years ago it wasn't that way. Like, it was a bit different in terms of the communal kind of vibe of it and everyone, you know, kind of being very supportive of each other. What is it that's kind of shifted so that it's led to this kind of atmosphere and led to the creation of it? I think there's just been a lot, like, we're going through, like, a total purple patch just now that there's so many great bands are all coming out at the same time and they're all friends and want to give each other a leg up. And it just seems, I think that it's maybe just more that there's more bands coming out just now that are of a higher quality and because of that it's the same people that would have been there before but it's just that there's more of a spotlight on it because the music's a lot better i definitely think that there's like places like the priory and there's like a massive community that's grown out of there but like a lot of bands that kind of hang out there and drink together and start bands together and see other bands playing in there and go oh we can do that as well so we're going to start a band now and yeah i, I, I think it's it's maybe like to do with social media as well that and in general that everything's became so much more available straight away that maybe starting a band and putting music out has seemed like an easier thing to do now 
and to like reach a wider audience is, is maybe seemed like less of a daunting thing to do. And I think like when naturally when you're starting to go to shows and you see bands from your home city starting to do really well and go on tour and release singles and getting loads of like support from like Spotify and Apple Music and I think you naturally go, Oh, that's amazing. I really want to do that and I remember like when I was kind of fifteen, sixteen and starting to go to, to shows and starting bands with like pals at school, it definitely didn't feel like that was a thing. But that was like eleven eleven, twelve years ago. That's still quite a rapid change though. Yeah, I, th- I th- it definitely feels like there's a lot there's a, a stronger music scene, I suppose there's there's the quality of music coming out now. Like before when I was kinda starting to go to gigs, the kind of bands that were coming out of Glasgow that were starting to get a bit of traction was like kind of Frightened Rabbit and, and Twin Atlantic and who've kind of gone on and they've kind of pushed through that local band ceiling and they've like done huge academy shows and Twin Atlantic have done hydros and I think there was maybe like less whereas now the, the, there seems to be a bigger pool of bands that aren't quite at that level yet but they definitely seem to be going toward there which is like super exciting like I think you look at Los Capaldi like three years ago was like playing in tuts to 10 people and now he's like going to be headlining and transmit which is just amazing i mean look at someone like, for example uh, the moment like the snuts who have kind of just been on a consistent probably and like like the, the, the snuts as well like they are like on the same trajectory as capaldi like they're, and they're both from the same tiny town which is just mental and, like with the volpe's the same like there's like so many amazing artists coming out of Bathgate and Whitburn which is just like it seems like this like wee place off the map that nobody's heard of but I mean I guess it comes back to what you're saying though, about one band spying another one on and inspiring others and making them feel like it's possible oh yeah totally and it's and it, there's definitely that like they're all pals and they all went to school together and which is amazing to see but yeah I, th- I think as well like first when there's kind of bigger Scottish bands and there's like stuff coming up like there seems to be more of an appetite now to try and give them like a leg up and like oh come and support me on my like if they're doing like a show at like SWG3 or ABC when ABC was still there like they would get like one of like the smaller Glasgow bands to come in or Scottish bands to come and support them and give them that kind of opportunity to play in front of a bigger crowd that um the Snots definitely like benefited from from that, like doing early support shows. But, like when they were first coming up, like The View, and they supported Los Capaldi and Sherlock's as well. That was another one. Yeah, Sherlock's. Um, and they they they've definitely embraced that as well, which is like an amazing thing that the Snots do when they play shows. Is they they always want to know, or like they're they're super on it, and they know who all the new cool Scottish bands are, or who the music that they like and they always want to try and help and give those bands a leg up because they appreciate that they were given that opportunity as well which is really really great and hopefully that keeps on going that artists want to keep supporting the the new stuff that's coming up around them yeah i mean how does that work for yourself in terms of keeping on top of all the new music that's coming out and staying very like aware of the scene and what's interesting and what's going on i suppose like i kind of just do my best to know about everything like if people ask me that quite a lot like oh how do you find new stuff and I don't really know what the answer to that is. I suppose like I just constantly scroll through like Facebook and Instagram and Spotify and like all these online platforms that kind of give you an opportunity to kind of see who likes who and similar artists or, or whatever. Or, um, like that, that's been one thing that, because like usually I would go to shows and it would, I'd maybe go to like a local show in the 13th note or something and it would be, there would be like a band supporting the band I was there to see that I hadn't heard 
heard of and then I've got well, there's another one but I've not been able to do that just now it's definitely I've definitely been scouring the internet for, for new stuff which I've, I've still been finding a lot of new Scottish stuff which is exciting that there does still seem to be people releasing music and I guess as well you seem to have quite a good awareness of kind of where everyone's at in their trajectory as well and where they kind of are in terms of getting them on bills and stuff which is quite a yeah I, th- I, th- I think it's definitely like an awareness of where people are at or where bands are at and trying to make sure that you offer them the right plays at the right time that are going to benefit them and not giving them maybe a big show supporting somebody at SWG3 before they're ready for it because if they go and have a shit show and they put them off want to do it yeah whereas if they do it at the right time they can really use it as a stepping stone to to kind of come away from that show with new fans and, and hopefully then he'll be doing SWG3 in a year's time or whatever I feel like that's um I feel like at the moment with it being a very troubled kind of political time we started off on maybe slightly down but no but we kind of managed to get to a point there at the end where it's um very positive and got a nice kind of way to wrap it up on but uh yeah cheers man i appreciate you coming on and yeah, giving nice me a chat to you this morning thanks for having me all right joe how are you how are you getting on how's things i'm good i'm not bad how are you doing yeah yeah not too bad where about are you at the minute where about have you retreated to for lockdown and everything that's going on i'm in fife at the moment Usually I'm always in Fife. Not much happens there, so lockdown didn't really make much of a difference. (laughs) Just kind of felt the same. Um, But with the restrictions that getting lifted a wee bit, I've been able to go back up to the office in Perth, so that's always a bonus. Get out of the house. What were your kind of plans like at the start of the year before this all kicked off and before COVID got in the way, pre-lockdown? I hadn't kind of planned too far ahead, to be honest. So at the end of 2019, I had just gone self-employed. So my kind of aim this year was just to get that set up and find my feet with that and kind of see where it goes. But I definitely had a lot more festivals planned, a lot more events, you know, a lot more work involves events. And obviously that's just completely gone. We don't know when that's going to come back. I really, the events industry is going to be a weird one for a while. Yeah, really weird. it's going to be strange when it does come back and what that's going to kind of look like. Like you're seeing all these driving gigs and mm. stuff kind of emerge at the minute and all these new ideas. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I like the sound of a drive-in gig. I get the point of it, but I feel like the atmosphere of being in a crowd, that can't be replaced through sitting in your car. I just can't. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think, I feel like it would maybe work a bit better for some bands than others. Yeah, Not, not so yeah. much. It's getting these folk are kind of trying to come up with ideas and stuff and be a bit creative about it, but yeah, it's going to be weird. Like I, We were doing one the other week and I was speaking about, I just don't know how you would socially distance a gig. Like, I don't know how that would work. Mm-mm. Not at all. Well, most of my work's obviously in like clubbing and that just, I don't see that ever working socially distant. I was going to say, you see the thing on Facebook with the, uh, like the czar balls, like in a club in Berlin or something? Yeah, I've seen some really weird things come up. I've seen, I've seen what's like, there was like swimming pool woggles attached to people's heads to keep the two metres. So if your woggle hits somebody, you know that you're too close or something. It's bizarre. Or they had like little taped out squares that you could stand in and you just had to dance within your square. Doesn't sound... I'm like, I don't fancy doing that. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's going to be... I've, yeah, I feel like everything's kind of next year now, isn't it? Everything's been pushed back Aye, for a while. Definitely. How like, how do you keep energised when everything's so far away? Like, and kind of motivated when it feels so far in the distance again? I don't know, I guess. You just kind of have to be grateful for the work you have at the moment. And it's a, it's a great opportunity to get planning and thinking ahead. Usually, like, especially if you're hosting your own event, you're always going to be thinking... It's always, it ends up being quite rushed, but now you've got plenty of time to think it through get planning ahead for next year um so it'll be really interesting to see how some of the festivals adapt and what new ideas they come up with 
Yeah, I guess it gives you a little bit of time to kind of reflect as well, doesn't it? In kind of... Yeah, definitely, definitely. How does this year compare? To, like, what were you doing this time last year compared to <laughs> now? I was on a beef all this time last year. I was living there for I lived there for about five months, doing my dream job. I was yeah, it was a very different place this time last year. I was a clubs writer intern for Ibiza Spotlight, so I basically got paid to just like go out, check out the parties, review them the next day. Have the odd free drink, well, I say odd, but a good few free drinks here and there. I go out on like day trips and some really cool stuff. So, yeah, life was very different a year ago. What um what motivated the decision to kind of go self employed at the end of, you said, the end of last year, like December time? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of December, November, I think it was. Um, it was kind of, it was something I'd never planned to do, to be honest with you. Like, it was never really a goal or even a consideration. But I just felt like I had loads of little avenues. So I was doing like writing and club stuff. And then I was doing, I'd been training in like social media and copywriting. And then I was like, oh, but I quite want maybe do an event now and again. So it kind of felt like a good way to just kind of put it all under one hat and have it all in one place. And it was like, this is me, this is what I can do, hire me or don't. <laughs> so that, but it's interesting. It's really funny. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess it gives you a bit more freedom as well in terms of you can become more like flexible in terms of what you want to do and you can maybe change it a bit easier and kind of evolve yeah know. yeah definitely because the stuff that i do like it can be different like social media and that but it also does link quite well with the writing and like the kind of the copywriting and like like seo can understand and it weirdly does relate but you can be working with totally different clients at the same time and i think that's something that during the pandemic especially has been hugely helpful because i've been able to kind of keep working with it while music has slowed down i've got clients in other areas that i can keep ticking along with so i've been really grateful in that sense really lucky <laughs> What else that you do writing, like kind of reviews and stuff and that sort of thing? Uh, what other sort of freelance stuff do you get up to? So I work with High Beat Digital, who are a Perth-based uh, digital marketing company. I trained with them doing social media and copywriting, which is kind of just essentially blogs, but for selling stuff. <laughs> selling without realising you're selling. Um, and I, work, I still work with them and do a lot of their client work with social media and copywriting again as well. We do the odd bit of PR as well. Um, and obviously I offer those services out myself just directly so if folk want wee bits of social media content or like a regular kind of manager there's the options there and then other than that it's mostly kind of clubs and music writing. So when I was doing the research for this the amount of different like publications and websites and stuff that you've written for <laughs> do, do you have like regular ones that you kind of tend to go back to or is it just kind of freelance all the time and constantly changing and constantly? Yeah I guess I, to be honest I start, when I started writing this was like a few years ago and most of them weren't, they weren't really clients. They were just kind of blogs you'd done for like a hobby and to kind of just get involved and get practicing and learning. But I don't know, I just kind of take it up as opportunities come. You know, some people just want you to write one piece and then go. But some places you can get a lot more regular content and build a bit more of a relationship with. But it's just, it's really interesting, to be honest. And was it, when I was in Ibiza, that was like employment. So I wasn't working with other publications at that time. But yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting. It's really interesting what you can do from Scotland. You know, I've worked with a lot of blogs and places I'm not even in. I've written for loads of clubs. I've written for a club in London and never actually been there. So it's quite it's quite interesting what you can do when you go freelance. I guess that kinda helps as well when it comes to COVID and stuff in terms of looking at operating within that world but not have to necessarily be doing that face to face contact and seeing people in person. Totally. And then the thing with the Scottish kind of side of things is it's a, we've got like a brilliant scene going on, but it is compared to a lot of places, it is small and it is highly competitive. It's so competitive and it's a lot more DIY rather than kind of major companies. And the major companies are where your most employment's going to kind of opportunities will be. 
So it's, I think in Scotland you do have to be able to diversify a wee bit and it's really helpful to be able to go freelance and still be able to help your local scene but also be able to support yourself by maybe working with companies out with Scotland. And in terms of, of writing for the different publications and websites and stuff, do you notice it's quite a different process when it comes to each one or does everyone kind of handle it in a similar way? Um, yeah, it is definitely different, I would say. Some people, depending on... Well, some people can be quite laid back, or some people have quite like a strict sort of editorial style that they want to stick to. Um, so yeah, it just kind of varies. You see, you notice more of a difference when you're talking about blogs and publications, like magazines and these sort of higher publications. They will have a lot stricter kind of style of writing, and blogs are a lot more kind of creative freedom. But then as well, I write for places where it's like a business, and the blog is just an asset to their website. That's really promotional stuff. You're really promoting that person's event or what they're up to. So yeah, there's kind of you do kind of see a difference coming up. I guess it can help them somewhat with some like diversifying skills that you kind of have to adapt a bit more, and you have to change your style, and you become you kind of have you become multifaceted as a writer a bit more, I suppose. Totally, totally, and I think doing the copywriting has really helped that because you know the clients you're working for, they're not like when I work through Hype Digital, they're they're really creative businesses, but they're not necessarily music. So I could be writing about like botanical spirits one day, or I could be writing about uh, like cooking recipes for a client. You know what I mean? It really varies. So that definitely helped. I think when it actually came back to music stuff, I got a lot more transferable skills out. Do you have like do you have like a structure that you will tend to go for and? Do you have like kind of things that you're mentally taking off in your head in terms of what you want to achieve when you're writing an article and the kind of information you need to convey across or how does it kind of work that structure? Um, it? it kind of depends I've kind of like in the past year been having more fun playing with structures so you find that you want to get a really catchy title and the way I think a lot of things that I've noticed have worked well with that is doing maybe like top 10 this and top five that and getting really kind of catchy headlines so yeah, I think you need to make, content has to be really digestible. People don't have attention spans anymore. <laughs> you know, they're a lot lower. So you want to really break up the content, make it really easy to read, put lots of nice cool images in, make it really conversational and friendly. You know, nobody wants to read like a really boring essay. But it's mostly just depends on the event, depends what you're doing and just to the publication as well, what their style is. I remember when I was messaging about this, it was the ghost put feature that I read that you did. So cover, yeah. fe- cover feature, what was it, a couple of weeks back, last week? Yeah I, think, yeah, I think it came out last week, I think. I'm not sure. I should know. <laughs> as someone who does interviews as well, I'm quite interested by the kind of process you have of preparing for that and the kind of the construction of the questions and the interview itself. How does the research process sort of begin for you when you're kind of approaching something like that? So I guess it starts with a conversation with the editor. So the editor for um, Snack Magazine, which that publication went out on, came to me and kind of we had a wee conversation about, you know, What's he been? What's he been up to recently? So, Ghost Sports' uh, biggest thing was that he'd had uh, an album come out. So, you obviously want to focus a lot on the album, um, and then you want to just relate it to what's going on at the time. You know, so we t- we discussed a lot of topics. We discussed lockdown and the pressures from that. We discussed kind of social media influences, and we discussed Black Lives Matters. We just just kind of whatever's going on at the moment, and you kind of want to build a kind of build a structure. We made a few points you really want to go with, maybe a few nice questions in your head, but you just kind of have to roll with it in the moment which is kind of scary because there's only so much you can prepare for. But you just kind of have to play off what they say, see where they go and kind of just take it from there when you're in the actual conversation. What's your, your mindset like when you're in that conversation and you've got that slight pressure of knowing that you kind of need to have that next question ready to go and you kind of need to keep it flowing? For that one, I was actually really nervous because I haven't done it. I, just the way things have worked out, I've not done like artist interviews in a long time. So I was really nervous for that one. So I was just sitting there thinking, oh my God, I hope he doesn't fucking hate me. I was like, don't say anything bad to me but to the end and I was like please I, you know I, I got really nervous for that one which was strange but I don't know you just kind of just kind of think as long as I know I've covered my few main points and anything else that comes along is just maybe 
reflecting on what where he's at, what he's talking about, and him as a person. And you, you still want that content. You don't want to just come in and get all the kind of main basic points. You want to flesh it out a bit and just kind of get into his personality a wee bit. So I guess I'm just thinking, I hope I've got enough. <laughs> hope I've got enough for an article. I guess that can be the challenge as well, trying to get someone, get their personality out and get them to kind of be open and honest in an interview. Because, I mean, I guess sometimes you find that artists are kind of going in with a certain mindset, if you know what I mean? In terms of it's thinking of an interview, they can be a wee bit closed off and it's kind of trying to relax them a wee bit, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I, I guess it depends. Some artists see interviews differently. Some, like, hate them. Some will just kind of see it as, like, a chore and some will really love it. They'll love the chance to talk about their music and talk about their work. So you can, you, I guess you can tell the difference. You can tell when you're getting a one-word answer or when you're getting, like, a really in-depth, really good conversation going. I think as well, we used to, were we both at Discovery at the same time? Kind of around the same time? Did you, yeah, <laughs> did you, cut, was that kind of where you cut your chops working on interviews and kind of refining that skill and talking to artists? Yeah, I actually started out when I was at college and I had to do like a survey and I got chatting to these guys who were doing a promotions group and that was called ATM Music um, and they were like, oh, we'd like to get you involved. Would you fancy starting up a blog for us? Because we've got all these cool bands coming to play with us. It'd be good to maybe get some interviews from them. So that was actually how I started. My first ever artist interview was The Rokes, the Dundee band. Very good band. I saw them live. I know, I know. Uh, Sneaky Pete's the headline, Sneaky's back in February. It was a really good show. Maybe start in yeah. March, actually. It was right before lockdown. Oh, we must go to Alaska again. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they were really cool boys. But they were the first people I interviewed. So it just kind of started from ATM. And then from ATM, I got into discovering music. And discovering music was great to be creative. And I had lots of freedom in that sense. Um, and to kind of just explore things, try things out, make connections. But if I have to say where I really honed my skills, it would probably be at Spotlight last year because I was working under... Like, a much tighter editorial if you know what I mean people had to tell me where I was going wrong what I was doing wrong and I felt a lot of progress coming from that progress progress I don't know how you say it <laughs> yeah just kind of getting that constructive criticism and kind of people mm-hmm. being open to kind of show you what where you can kind of improve upon your skills what what sort of Definitely. stuff did you learn when you were there then what were the kind of main things that you took from it I guess they showed me how to streamline a little, streamline a little bit because the difference between blogs and publications, blogs really want that personal touch. They really want you to talk about exactly how you're feeling and your connections. It's a bit more fun, you know, you swear in them. Whereas it taught me how, being with Spotlight definitely taught me how to adapt to writing for maybe a more kind of stricter publication somewhere that, stricter is maybe the wrong word, but somewhere that maybe comes across a bit more professional. They're doing it to promote, they're doing it to, for these big events. So it definitely helped me to kind of maybe be a bit more professional that's the right word and just general bits and bobs that I kind of picked up you know things about structuring things about like you know the importance of that first like your first intro your first few lines making sure to include certain things and just really lots of little bits and bobs that just helped me to streamline what I was doing. I mean we've we spoken quite a bit about the freelance side how has Covid affected that kind of area of work are you still able to kind of do the same sort of things or is it still a because I've been yeah because I've been spread out over kind of a few two kind of industries so the social media side of things I've been really lucky to continue to work and I have high beat digital to thank for that because that's where a lot of my work in that area does come from but I think okay yeah maybe in the first couple of months I wasn't doing as much kind of writing and things like this but it gave me a good time to just kind of get a bit more of a plan together you know, I launched a week in that Instagram page to get things going, just kind of getting a wee bit of structure, how I want to do things, where I want to go. So I don't see it as much of a loss. And that's okay, maybe I didn't make the money in those months, but I got such a good plan and I got such a good kind of 
time to reflect and that's so valuable so hopefully it pays off for the next few months you furthered that foundation as well kind of as a freelancer and kind of establish yeah. yourself a bit more yeah because nobody knew i went freelance to be honest, like it was just a really quick kind of thing it just happened and i was just kind of trying to learn as i go so it kind of gave me a good time to actually put word out there and be like, by the way i do this <laughs> so you how does that work for kind of like government support and stuff has that affected you or is that not something that i could i could there was government support for freelancers and I didn't take it because I was still able to earn and I just didn't really feel I was like there are people there who have gone to zero and they probably need it a lot more you know I was like I can still survive you know I don't I, I don't know I didn't feel kind of right taking that but there is there is supports out there the support is very iffy and it's still being talked about and we see a lot on Twitter about the PY uh, P, P, no. PPP freelance PEs who kind of on contracts they've not been supported at all and I think a lot of like business small business owners who they live off their dividends I think there's a lot there's a lot of kind of blurred lines there still which is quite bad considering we're now almost out of lockdown you know you think that they would have been addressed yeah it's been going on I mean what three months when was it in the March it kind of started the support and they've still not really sorted that some stuff yeah yeah a bit frustrating how does that work as well for the velvet lounge in the studio that you do you, so you run the studio and with a couple other people yeah so it's myself and holly Irvin, who is actually from perth which does help i'm not from perth and fiona who was a founding member of the studio and um, we came on board to kind of help out and we own it we manage it we've got some cool really cool producers in there it's a really interesting space because it's actually not even like it wasn't made to be a studio it's in the ice factory which is a nightclub um and it was originally a bar <laughs> so it has this big balcony outside looking over the park and it's just such a bizarre space but it's, it's brilliant it's amazing we were we were lucky we have had some support which we wouldn't have you know we wouldn't have made our rent and things if we hadn't had that support so we have been really lucky in that sense but as well because recordings obviously you know you don't require lots of people we're not in the same situation as events like we won't we can open up this year we know that <laughs> you know we're not gonna have to wait until next year like a lot of festivals and things so we, we we're, we're getting there we've made it through so i'm, I'm really pleased with that <laughs> when is it looking do you know roughly when it'll open back up or is it still quite tough to tell with the kind of current situation we're in discussions um and we'll be getting a date and it'll probably be getting announced next week when we'll be reopening. I, I like the idea of like what you're saying there about how it's a converted bar. I love it when you go into like studios and stuff that have been different things before and there's a really cool kind of vibe mm. and it's a bit different in it. It adds something to it, I think, almost as well when bands totally. are going in there. It's a really quirky wee space. It's the, I've, n- I've never seen anything like that, to be honest. So that's why I was like, I need to get involved with this. <laughs> when did the studio... Or what, what else does the studio do? So it does recording, does it also do practicing and stuff? What all kind of sort of stuff do you cover? Yeah. So you can do rehearsals in there um, and we've also, so it's always ran in the studio and kind of rehearsal room. However, when we came in and we saw the space, we were like, oh my gosh, like this could be such a, you could have this event, you could have this workshop, you could do this. So we're also calling it a creative lounge. That's our kind of three things that we're going to do. And we've had one trial workshop and it went really well, but we just see the potential of the space and a lot more. So we'd like to see some other kind of creative things going on there maybe in the future, you know. Stuff like maybe like poetry nights, uh, maybe really intimate gigs, photo shoot venue would be brilliant for that. So we're going to try and start pushing that over maybe the next few months. It'd be cool as well with Perth. There's a few you know kind of good bands coming out of Perth at the minute that'd be cool mm. to kind of trying to help you know nurture that scene and kind of keep that. You could almost be you could see it Definitely. like a creative type hub, couldn't you? Yeah, and there's you've got Perth. Is it University of the Highlands and Islands? 
I think. That's in yeah, there. And they've got them, a yeah. lot of music courses. They do music business, they've got a lot of production, they've got a few bits and bobs going on up there. Um, so yeah, there's definitely kind of a market for it. What do you, will COVID have a like a lasting impact upon the studio, do you feel? I, I guess in a way. Not I, I we've again we have been very lucky and we managed to kind of keep afloat, but I think it's had very positive impact in that for myself and Holly, um it's a side hustle, you know? It's something that we kind of, it's like a project on the side. It's a really passion, passion-driven thing. So to have this kind of extra time through lockdown, we've managed to get so much work done for it. We've managed to get so much planning in. We've got some really exciting things coming out in the next few weeks. And it's kind of just, again, given us that time, that time that we needed to do it and that time to just really get a head start. So it's been really valuable in that sense. And that will have an impact on the studio going ahead for sure. Yeah, kind of similar to freelancing and where you've kind of put the foundations down and you can kind of then build upon it once mm-hmm. everything gets going again. Even simple stuff. We've been in there like painting, cleaning, getting all that sort of stuff done. What sort so. of other positives do you think could come from COVID to try and get a, a silver lining from a kind of horrible dark cloud? What what other positives do you think could be taken from the current situation going forward for yourself and the kind of industry at large? It would definitely kind of push innovation and creativity. And that's it. People have had to adapt and do things they wouldn't have necessarily done. Um, I'd like to see a new value on creative industries, you know, because I imagine a lot of businesses have relied on creative minds to help them adapt. So hopefully there'll be a kind of new value in that. I think there'll be a massive new value in creative digital work as well, because a lot of things will be have had to go digital, have had to go online, social media and this sort of thing. And they'll realise it's not necessarily as easy as they thought, you know. The graphic design, the website design, all this sort of stuff is really valuable work that can has kind of in the past been dismissed a wee bit. So hopefully going forward, that's again got more emphasis. Musically, it's a funny one. I guess just more appreciation, you know, more appreciation for the events that are going on, more appreciation for local scene. But it's kind of hard to tell at the moment. We just have to see how things go. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it can come back strong and you can kind of once you get a bit of momentum going people realize they've kind of missed that yeah that thing about be a being lot of a, good recordings yeah people have been writing like crazy <laughs> that is the yeah that's the it was really nice at the start of lockdown how we kind of had all that music coming out but then you yeah, have kind of noticed now as the studios mm-hmm. haven't been open for a few months it's um yeah but yeah it's gonna be good i'd like to see some people year. try and there'll probably be people who've picked up an instrument that they've never picked up before or tried to DJ and they've never done it before just because they've got the time. So there could be some a lot of new artists coming in as well, which would be really nice to see. Yeah. Have there been any new skills like for yourself that you've kind of picked up and tried to refine a wee bit more over outside the kind of things we've discussed? I've been trying to learn website design stuff. And I try. I want to build my own website. It's in the running. And I sat down at lockdown and I was like, I could do this in like a week. I'll do, take a course, I'll do it. And oh my God, it's so hard. Like I really have so much respect for people that build websites. <laughs> so I've got a new setup where I am basically, I've been kind of training with someone. I, I just learned better that way, but self-teaching really technical stuff was not for me. <laughs> so hopefully it's something I'd like to include eventually. Yeah. Are you quite a collaborative person in terms of when you're working on projects, do you like to kind of have someone else to bounce ideas off of and stuff and that sort of thing? Totally definitely i love to collaborate i love to see how you know if you'd always working on your own ideas it'll only ever kind of peak it'll only give go one direction and that's it so i think it's so important to be collaborating with people especially right now you know creatives should be coming together should be thinking of ways they can like help each other out of this and hopefully that is another positive that comes from lockdown you know people are collaborating and new ideas and new things are going to appear yeah and then when it kind of comes back the the, the bonds kind of get solidified in terms of being creative and then those people kind of form mm-hmm. partnerships might everyone continue working and going forward but yeah i thought like that's quite a positive a 
positive uh, note to end <laughs> to wrap up on. but yeah thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate that's it that's right and, thank uh, you for having me a good chat planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.